0: Welcome to Yorkshire Gamers, a Reap Big War Games podcast. And today we are episode 31. And uh, this is coming out on the 7th of October, 2022. And uh, today I'm going to be talking to Giles Allison. And Giles um, was a big influence on me uh, and my American War of Independence collection uh, through his blog, Tarleton's Quarter. Now, you may notice that that is a different guest to the one that I had planned. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we've had a bit of a, a nightmare here at uh, Yorkshire Gamer in that my wife has uh, fallen off her horse, bless her, and uh, she's, she was quite badly injured. So I have been doing my very best Nurse Ken impression and uh, looking after Mrs. Riley as she recovers from her fall. Now that meant a change in schedule and uh, I've had to put everything, um, back in terms of podcast, etc. as you, as you would expect. And uh, unfortunately that means that my planned guest, uh, Mark Hides um, from Conflict in Colour, um, we've been unable to reschedule. So, uh, Mark is going to come on the show uh sometime next year. Uh I'm already booked up now probably until March 2023 with guests. Um so uh, we're going to get Mark to come on uh later later on early in the new year and chat all about uh painting, um, Sheffield triples, etc. Uh, Mark, unfortunately, uh, has had an accident uh, with uh, with a, an injury to his hand, um, which has happened recently. So I wish Mark all the best. hope he uh, recovers very quickly. And uh, we were going to chat about his uh, professional painting service Conflict in Colour. And uh, I know he's got a few uh, slots available at the moment, having uh, just started up his... Uh, War Games painting year, if you like. So uh, why not bob down to Conflict in Colour if you're looking for some uh, figures to be painted and uh, see if you can uh, get Mark to do your stuff. Um, I'm sure he'd be uh, really happy to have you as a client. So the month delay has kind of um, shoved everyone up together. There's going to be very little break in between the episodes that I've got planned between now. And Christmas um, is probably going to be, every couple of weeks, there'll be a new release, uh, if I can get everyone in uh, before Christmas. And uh, it's a great problem to have, as I've said before. Um, the 41 guests that I'd got planned has uh, now gone up even further. I've probably got another six or seven on the list now, after various other conversations I've had recently Uh, so uh, there's plenty of people waiting to come on and um, if you are going to Partisan on Sunday um, that's the Sunday after this is released um, come and say hello I shall have my uh, light blue polo shirt Yorkshire Gamer on and uh, come and say a Hello, come and have a chat about Wargaming in general and the show if you like to. Anything Yorkshire Gamer, anything Wargaming, I'm happy to have a chat. Um, and talking of wargame shows, uh, Leeds Wargames Club, uh, the club that I belong to, run a show every year called Fiasco. And that is in the fantastic uh, venue of the Royal Armouries Museum in Leeds. And uh, that will be on October the 30th this year, Sunday, the October the 30th, from 10 o'clock in the morning. So if you haven't already, uh, get along to uh, Leeds War Games Show. Um, It has the added bonus of being next to the Royal Armories, which is free entry. Uh, If you've not been, uh, it's well worth it. If you have been, you know it's well worth it, and you know it is worth going back to. So that's uh, plenty of ramble from me, and. Let's get on and uh, go to our interview and uh, let's have a chat with Giles and uh, talk all about Tarleton's Quarter and the American War of Independence. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the interview section of Yorkshire Gamers Podcast. And last episode, we blew the entire travel budget for the year by going off to Australia. So it's back to blighty today, but we're still a little bit exotic because we've gone south of Sheffield down to that there, London, where they have gas and electricity and everything. And uh, one of the joys of doing this podcast is I get to choose my guests. And I look back on things and people that have influenced me and then I drag them on the show and blame them for the huge hole in my bank balance. Uh, so a number of years ago, the War Games blog came into its own individuals throughout the world, could share their wargaming experiences without having to wait to be published in an official magazine or journal. And today's guest is the owner of one of those vlogs, and it was an, it was and still is an outstanding example of that genre. Taliton's Quarter is without doubt the place to go for American War of Independence. And it's where I got all my information from when I was building my armies. Uh, it was both inspirational and educational. So let's have a peek under the tricorn, shall we? And speak to the latest guest on the podcast. Let's give a reek big welcome to... Giles Ellison. Hello, Giles.
1: Hello, Ken. Thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. I imagine various people who used to read and Quarter probably thought I was dead. It's been so quiet. But it's, it's, uh,
0: I'm delighted to be here.
1: And uh, I'm also delighted to say that being invited has inspired me to go back to the blog, actually. and oh, that's and pick, pick up the reins of, of, of where I left it in a forlorn shape a couple of years ago.
0: I, I can't remember who said uh, reports of my death are somewhat exaggerated. Was it Churchill? I can't remember.
1: It could well be
0: well it's it's lovely to see you looking well and and not and not uh, passed away um have you ever been a guest on a podcast before?
1: no I've got no idea what to expect
0: excellent uh... well well we uh, we have had quite a few. Uh, new people to uh, the War Games podcast world on here and uh, you're very welcome. Um, but before you sit back and relax, the first thing that we do to our to our guests is put them under a little bit of pressure and um, get them to kind of introduce themselves and give a, a summary of their War Games history in four minutes. So have you uh, got a bit of prep for this done, uh, Giles?
1: A little bit, yeah. I thought about my history. I've got a few ideas. Oh, brilliant. This is what
0: I like to hear. So, I shall press the button, and uh, as we're getting towards the end, the music from Countdown will cut in, and if you go on too far, D.I. Regan from The Sweeney will tell you to shut it. So, if you're ready, mate, uh, off you go.
1: Fantastic, thanks. Well, I suppose... I mean, my route is probably very familiar to those who were born in the early 70s. Um, it started with plastic airfix and Atlantic, fi- Atlantic figures. And I can't really remember a time when I wasn't playing with toy soldiers. It's just what I did when I was at home. I wasn't doing my, doing my homework. Um, and I think that came from a general love of history, really, um, particularly ancient history when I was younger, and also watching um, historical epics and war films on the TV. Because in those days, at the weekend, BBC Two, Sunday, Saturday afternoon, it was either the cricket or a war film. And I was equally happy watching either of those. It's, it's just what you did as a kid back in those days. if um, I think it's quite sad that my own children, I haven't managed to get them to watch a war film at all because they're just not interested in that kind of stuff anymore. It's really quite sad. But anyway, so that's where I think, as I say, a lot of us kind of came to the hobby um, via those routes. Um, and in fact, I, I remember watching Guns of Navarone once and I had my little Airfix Commandos, my Airfix Germans and I was recreating the film as I was watching it. It was, it was, it was fantastic. But then, I suppose two things happened which pulled me into the hobby as opposed to just playing with with the toy soldiers. And the first thing, I remember going to WH Smith's and I saw on the shelves, it was Miniature War Games number 11. I've actually got it. I've got it here. And, oh, wow. and I flicked through it and I thought, wow, this is absolutely amazing. I'd never seen anything like this before. And I thought I was just the person who was, a uh, as one of my teachers had said, a rather silly person who plays with toy soldiers. I realised mm. grown up adults did it as well. Sensible people, not just schoolboys or kids, actually played with these amazing looking painted figures. Um, so there's no date on it, but I'm, 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 I'm assuming I worked out from the current number, which is 474. This is number 11. It must have come from 1983. So I would have been about 10. Um, 75p in those days. That would have been two weeks of pocket money. And you can, you can barely buy a tube of Smarties that money these days. But um, so, so that was the first thing. I saw there was a hobby, and obviously full of wonderful photographs. And I thought, this is fantastic. I want to be a part of this. And then the second thing that happened was, during the course of the next few years, I realized that my brother's godfather was the Paddy Griffith. He was a person oh whose articles I'd been reading in miniature war games, and I hadn't actually... Uh, twigged that they were one and the same people, um, and it was when he came over uh, a few times. And I, I, I remember a very jolly, very friendly man who came over several times to, to say hello and have, have have lunch with us and his family. Um, and he used to bring little presents of toy soldiers for my brother. And I was really annoyed because I wanted to say he, he, he doesn't care about these presents. I'm the person. <laughs> give them to me. I'm the person who plays with these things. But I remember one one year, he um, one time he bought um, one of those big plastic. Um, boxes of of, Egypt, of of ancient Roman chariots for me. And my mm. brother got an even bigger box of Roman ballistas. And Paddy, as soon as lunch was over, he cleared the table, said, right, we're going to have a game. And he just, off, off off the hoof, he made up rules for a chariot game. We had a fantastic chariot game. Wow. And then I wanted to show him all my airfix old guard grenadiers, which I sort of painted really awfully. So I brought them down, and they became the targets for the ballistas. So we had a ballista game as well. And, and I remember... Just several chats with him over the years about 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 the hobby and about history. Um, I remember he had a fantastic. I um, asked him once because I was studying the period at school. I said, "Oh, why why did we win Waterloo?" And he said, "It's very easy. Our men were better than theirs." And that was it. That was what Paddy Griffith thought about the Battle <laughs> of Waterloo in in, in in one sentence. So. Paddy showed me that, that I mean I, I found that very very inspiring but so in, in those early days it was mainly 15mm Napoleonics from people like Essex, and Minifigs and Jacobite all you know incompatible in size but I, I bought them anyway and then my first proper army was a 25 millimetre Punic Wars Roman Army I think from Tabletop mm. Games one of those older older companies and I remember in the open, there was an open day at my school and I kind of sort of set out the Battle of Zamba and I was very pleased with myself, despite the fact that there was only Romans, and yeah. not, not anyone else. <laughs> um, but after a lot of flitting around over the years, eventually I settled on 15mm Battle Honours and AB for Napoleonics, and then 20mm, 25mm for everything else. Um, and that's when I realised that what I really enjoyed was painting. Um, I, pay, I paint a regiment, I set it out, I I'd admire it and pat it for a bit, and then I put them all back in their box. Um, and that, together with going to salute every year and reading the Warnings magazines, was basically what the hobby was for me. Yeah. Uh, for so long it was it was it was very largely a kind of solitary um hobby until i got into the awi which i know what we'll talk about later um and i started participating in proper games talking to proper war gamers like me um set up the blog and it kind of went went from there and so what i'm trying to do at the moment is i'm trying very hard to get my two boys into it um we've done a lot of warhammer they love that they're getting slightly interested in the skirmishy things like gaslands uh Frostgrave, things that have got a bit of a kind of fantasy knockabout element but um uh, I'm hoping I can get them get them in, involved in in historicals fairly soon. They're, they're showing a bit a bit more interest, particularly in the painting side. Actually, I think they they like to see nicely painted figures, and they like to see the mm. terrain that goes with them. So so that that that's my hobby in in what doesn't seem to be quite four minutes.
0: Yeah, it was slightly over. I don't think the um, the record the the sound worked on the uh, the thing, but uh, it's no problems. We we've done very well there. Thank you, thank you very much for that. Um, so do you have a a game set up at home, or do you know do you have a games room or a painting room?
1: I have I have a man cave, which man doubles cave. as as a painting room, a library, and where I just go and sit, sit and drink wine. To be honest, if I don't want to be disturbed by my family, which is quite a lot of the time. <laughs> um, so. I don't have a, a permanent setup table. I have a, the, the the painting area is very good because there's loads of natural light, plenty of space for yeah. paint. So that that's that's for me the most important bit. But I do have tables now which I can get out and put in the in the kitchen to form a, a decent table. It's it's probably I think the kitchen table itself is six times twelve, but these are other tables I can add, so I can get quite a decent space. And I've, I've used that recently for. Um, birthday parties with boys and all their friends come over and play warhammer 40k so they've seen a lot oh, of space wow. marine action um not quite so much uh, historical action yet but um, as I say I'm hoping that will change a couple of friends from New Zealand have been over a few times and, and, and we, we, we've got the toys out to play but uh yeah it, it's it's uh, finding time for gaming at the moment is, is is quite difficult I find
0: and do you or do you have a club that you visit to locally
1: no, I don't. That's probably something I should look into. I mean, I went to the the Lauten Strike Force a couple of times because they were very, very into the General Brigade British Grenadier uh, mm. rules, which 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 are the ones that I I I use myself. Um, but at the moment, it's just playing ad hoc games with with like minded pals as and when the opportunity arises. Moment, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about the the blog in quite some detail later on. But on there, you're you're a regular visitor to um, Salute. Um, is that your sort of main show that you go to? Um, do, you, do you travel around a bit to them, or
1: yeah, it's it, it's the only show I go to. Um, the others a little bit trickier to get to now because I'm, I'm I've, I've now moved from London. I'm in Essex, um, which is not all that less exotic than Australia, actually, in some respects. But it's uh, <laughs> uh, a slightly strange place to be. But it's it's um, Selwick. I've, I've enjoyed a few times, um, and I'd love to go to the Partisans. I never quite managed to do it uh, for various reasons. It tends to be at the wrong time. Um, I was going to try and go this year, but that that that's not, that's not going to happen. But uh, I'd, I'd I'd love to go to some of those shows where the quality of games I've heard is absolutely spectacular. Um, and you have got people like the Perry's putting on their own games and things like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, Partisan is absolutely amazing, and and it see it seems to be the the, the sort of the war games networking um, yeah, show. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah turns up there and you end up talking all day and not actually doing doing very much gaming or looking around to be fair, uh, but it is a fantastic place and if you do get a chance to go up there um, um, highly recommended highly recommended um, we're going to talk about the uh, the AWI in quite some detail later on, um, but what, what other than that, what would you say your favourite periods and, and scales that uh, you're into uh,
1: are? I think I've decided now having sort of dabbled with 50mm while I was younger, um, which was largely for space and cost reasons, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm basically 25mm. I, I can't paint 50mm. They're too small. Um, I've tried 20mm um, for gas lands. I find those too small as well. I like figures yeah. where, because I'm primarily a painter and a collector, I like figures that you can see, frankly. And I know 50mm look great when there are loads of them and they're all ranked up, but I like I like to get character into figures. And I think 25mm mm-hmm. is the kind of probably the the, the, the smallest Um, scale at which you can get that in a figure or you can can paint that into a figure. So that's basically what what my scale is. And I found, apart from Napoleonics, where I did then move into 25mm Napoleonics for a while, I painted up quite a few. I've got two divisions worth, I think, actually, of of, of 1815 (laughs) French, um, which doesn't seem much in Napoleonic terms, but it's quite a lot for me. Um, What I really like are the slightly offbeat periods. And Mm. I think when I started the AWI, it, it did seem slightly offbeat. It wasn't as big as I think it is now. Um, but the other periods I've been I've been painting for and, and collecting are things like the First Carlis War, um, the Great Power Grand War, the War of Triple Alliance, as, as sometimes it's known. Um, a bit of ECW, but then again, sort of more skirmishy type stuff. Pirates, Darkest Africa. Um, I found because painting was important, the sort of style and shape of the figure was important too, and that mm. drew me towards the. What in the day was called the foundry style, I suppose it's basically like the, the Alan Perry, Michael Perry style, which then, you know, um, Cobblestone and 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 Mike Owen and some of the others sort of then th- they were very very similar, uh, and I, I really like painting that type of figure, um, and one of the things I find quite difficult actually is flitting not so much between periods but between between, between manufacturers. Um, So, for example, I've also got quite a large ACW collection, but they're all Dixons, which I know are Mm. slightly out of fashion these days. But I I just love them again because some of the faces are are terrifically characterful. But I find going from painting them to painting the Perry's, I need a good week or so to kind of transfer (laughs) over because they're so different. It's, you know, you you move from a Dixon to a Perry and suddenly everything seems to have shrunk by about 50%. Um, even the size of your brush seams have shrunk somehow, which isn't impossible, but somehow it does. Um, so that that's the sort of um, challenge I find in in, in in fitting between periods. But that's basically what I am. I mean, I think there's a bit more AWI to do, but what I'm now trying to do is to take periods like the First Carlos War, the ACW, um, Paraguayan War, and just try and get a collection together so I can then know that I can have a game. I can, and even yeah. if I just do it myself or I do it and one of the kids is like looking and laughing at it or whatever, it's, it's, I know I've got a collection there that's actually got a purpose because at the moment, what I'm conscious of is I've got so much stuff that's just sitting around in boxes and that, as we'll come on to, was, was one of the, the sort of great drivers of my blog to actually be able to put some of this stuff out there yeah. um, to sort of make me feel that I've actually achieved something.
0: Well, you're not the first person to mention the, uh, the Dixon's ACW. Uh, And there does seem to be a a lot of love out there for them. Um, I certainly remember um, painting a few for for various people, and and they're extremely characterful, aren't they? They're almost um, caricatures of of people. Um, Is that what drew you to them and continues to draw you to them?
1: It was, and also I remember... um... Been, been sound like a victim of advertising and i suppose something that maybe we will love. but i remember that the sort of early war games illustrated they had lots that was when the the dixon range first came out i think when when dunkelman started he's all move from war games uh, miniature war games war games illustrated and again they were beautiful photographs there, there's something about them that just looked really nice really clean um i forget the name of the guy who was painting them. dream smith or something like that i think it a slightly strange name but they, they just jumped off the page at me and i thought these figures just look great um and then, of course, once you start painting and you start collecting, it's then difficult to move to another manufacturer because you're already invested in, in the yeah. range. And as, as you say, Ken, I mean, I know that they have their detractors. And yes, there's something slightly odd about them. There's no, you know, the horses, God, where do they come from? One of them is Bosch or something like that. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it, as I say once you get invested in the period and and the manufacturer it then creates a life of its own and I'm perfectly happy painting them um I enjoy doing it and I think I can get some decent results from them and and they look great Uh, the variety again was another big a big thing for me I've never been the person who likes row after row of identical figures um Mm. again I was drawn to Foundry and the Perry Rangers slightly because of that reason as well that they they, would release their packs where everything was slightly different and I thought that looked more realistic in a way than people identically pose even though obviously I've never been in the army I imagine that's what people you know, you look at the, the, the guards at the Queen's funeral they were identical <laughs> in what they yeah. were doing but but somehow you kind of think in battle people must you know, particularly the idea of an uh, ACW firing line when you look at the Don Troiani paintings actually a lot of the Dixon figures when you look at them they are straight out of Don Troiani's paintings yeah. and, and I've always been a great fan of his work and so for me again that's sort of what the ACW looks like it looks like Don Troiani and the Dixon figures helped replicate some of that. And you know, again, in some of the early adverts, he replicated some of the uh, in in the photographs. He replicated some of the paintings himself with the figures um, for, the, for the photos, of the adverts. So it was it was a very kind of I suppose an artistic decision that that, that drew me towards them. But I I, I just like the look of them.
0: And and from the from the other periods you've mentioned, the Carlist Wars and um, the. Uh... Did Para- was it the Paraguayan War of Independence? Or- uh,
1: no, the, the, the Great Paraguayan War, or the, or the Triple right. Alliance, which was when Paraguay that basically decided to pick a fight with its three neighbours, which, given they were collectively about ten times the size and population size of Paraguay, was not a great idea.
0: Not a good uh, which,
1: idea. Uh, understandably catastrophic results for Paraguay.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's a bit of a, r- a running joke on on the show about the Perrys um, and the ob- some of the obscure stuff that they're now. Um, sculpting. Uh, did you have uh, any idea about these particular wars before they started?
1: Not the first Carlist War. I did about the Great Paraguayan War because there was oh, actually right, another, okay. another range that was started a few years ago, but yeah. it was probably more than a few years ago um, by Nuno Pereira, um, Kings Carbine Miniatures, and I think he, he produced three packs of of Paraguayans, and I painted up a couple of regiments of those. But then the the um, the range sadly didn't progress beyond those. So I, mm. I did know what the, the war was about. And I was absolutely delighted when, um, I think it was in War Games Illustrated, Alan sort of produced an article saying, you know, here's what I'm going to do. And I thought it's fantastic because I've already got some of these figures. Um, yeah. It would be great to actually take take, take the the range of the period for. Um, but I found over the years of what, besides 1815, I do like out of the way things. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is. Maybe it's because there's kind of less of a received tradition as to how you should do the period. You know, everyone knows how Napoleonic should be done. You can sort of go on to any forum. There are loads of people telling you exactly how you should do it. But with these other periods, because there's no one else really out there um, as such, you can you can always write your own rules and write your own um, book in terms of how you approach it and how you base them and how you how you how you take the period forward. So so that's what's attracted me to them. I mean, I was thinking about World War Two the other day. If I was ever to do World War Two, which is probably quite unlikely, but I do something really offbeat like Madagascar or Syria or something like Mm. that. I mean, the thought of doing D-Day or, or Eastern Front, everyone does that. Why why would you want to do something everyone else does? It just seems a bit, um, a bit odd. Then again, as I say, I'm a a painter and a collector rather than a gamer. So if, you know, my mate was doing D-Day, then I'd probably want to chip in and and paint up some figures, figures for that as well. But I do, I do like how to the out of the way periods. Out of the way, out of the way things.
0: Yeah. I I was discussing this, um, not that long ago. Um, and, kind of I'm in my mid 50s now and um, I'm getting to the point now where there isn't many periods of history that I haven't done um so uh, doing the I'm I'm currently on the Italian wars of independence and garibaldi as my sort of strange side project um and um yeah I can I can definitely see the uh, Paraguayan war and things like that of, of having that sort of an interest
1: I think also it's 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 nice to have periods which differ in terms of terrain and look. Mm. Um, I yeah. mean, the days where everyone was playing on a kind of green beige mat, no matter what the period or time of year was, is over. But um, it's nice when you look at the, the sort of scenery of, of of Paraguay and and the theatre of war where it was built. Lots of palm trees, lots of lush foliage and vegetation. That's very different to European conflicts um it's and it is nice to have have an opportunity to think about how one might dress a table um it also works very well it goes very well with the Fosgrave ghost archipelago stuff am doing with boys where you have lots of palm trees mm. and you know piratey things like that so it's nice to have a difference i think in terms of of um how your your periods look for terrain as well as uniforms
0: have you got anything planned future wise anything different or you know if you have you dug up some obscure war from uh, Asia or somewhere like that? You'd like to have a go at? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I, I don't think so. I mean, as I say, at the moment, I've I've got a lot. I've got a lot to do in terms of of, of my ongoing stuff um, in mm. getting them ready to a, a stage where I could realistically have have games. Um, the AWI does need a bit a bit more attention. Um, there are lots of quite obvious gaps in my collection for that. Um, but then I'm sure somebody, whether it's the Perrys or Mark Copperson or someone else, they'll, they'll come out with a range that none of us have got a clue what it's going to be right now. But they'll come out with something in a couple of years where everyone can go, where's that been all my life? It'll be it'll be a fantastic new thing. <laughs> um, and I do, I do, I, I do flit around, which is why I'm trying to kind of get some, get, get some focus at the moment. I say flit around, I spent 13 years doing nothing but AWI. So that was the, the, the yeah. flitting around you could be. You could, you, you could be. But it, at the moment I am flitting around quite a lot. So I'm trying to get a, 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 a bit of focus.
0: Yeah, I, I think I remember you. Did, did you put a display game on at Salute a Waterloo display game, or
1: that was that was a strike force game. Yeah, it was it was yeah. it was a long time ago. I think 2007 when the blog started actually, because one of the first things I had to do, which I which I posted on the blog, was I did a brigade of Dutch Belgian cavalry, um, which I had to do quite quickly. And I remember at the end of it thinking, I'm never painting the Peloponics again. And in fact, I had to. I think after after painting the Peloponics cavalry for two months. I then had to spend two months painting sort of Sudanese tribes because I needed the exact the polar opposite <laughs> of the Paleonic cavalry. To kind of yeah. cleanse my brain of, of of this kind of awful <laughs> complex uniforms that these <laughs> these, these, these figures had, um, and I did a Napoleon set as well, which was um, nice to do. But, but but that was when I realised actually what I really enjoyed doing was contributing to big games. I liked you know being part of a team that was working towards something, and it was great seeing everyone's work. You know everyone was proud of what they'd done. Uh, I liked to see my figures being being used in something as, as fantastic as that and I think I think the game won an award as well it won one of the one of the game awards at, at Salute so it, it was fantastic being being part of that although mm. a very small part compared to what people like Doug Bernie and some others have done.
0: So just talking a little bit more and a bit uh, deeper about your background there's quite a lot of mentions of New Zealand on your blog and a um, uh, few mentions of, of gaming out there and visiting Eureka miniatures and those sorts of things. So what's your connection with New Zealand and uh, how often do you get over there? Uh,
1: my wife's from New Zealand. So um, I've been to New Zealand more times than I've been to Scotland, actually, which is quite embarrassing. Um, <laughs> certainly more times than I've been up north, I can tell you that. Um, yeah. And I've, I've I've been there about eight times, eight times in total. Um, and there there's a thriving War Games, um group on the Kapiti Coast, which is the left-hand side, of of north island um and, and they do lots of gaming and then in tauranga where um Shelley's, uh, father lives um there are mm. a few people um kerry thomas who, who who's from wales um there's some gamers there who i know so it's, it's it's nice to catch up with them when i go over eureka that's a fantastic place to go because they're just so they're just so enthusiastic about everything yeah um, and and I had a very very fun morning there once talking to them about it and and and, and seeing what they're their plans for the future, were, and that was when they just brought out some AWI cavalry as well. So I got to take a, a big bag of that home with me. So oh, nice. it's 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 a lovely place to go. Um, yeah, you know, the people are fantastic. They're so friendly, so so ready to help. Um, and they appreciate people making the effort to go over there as well. Because
0: mm-hmm. I realised
1: quite quickly with my wife, one way to really irritate a Kiwi is to say oh, I've never been to New Zealand. It's far too far. Been to Australia though. Um, and even though once to you get to Australia, it's then another five six hours to get to New Zealand. Yeah. I think, you know, the number of people who complain about how they've got time to go to New Zealand, but they spend a lot of time in Australia, it must must be quite annoying, annoying to them. The other way to annoy a Kiwi is to say, "What part of South Africa are you from?" Uh, that really
0: oh oh, fighting into- talk fighting talk well the the, uh, the way that we always end up um the first section of the podcast is to talk about a thing called the venn diagram of wargaming and um, you mentioned a couple of times um during the uh, this chat um you kind of more of a painter and collector and so the four things that we break it down into are wargamer painter collector and historian um so where where are you how do you fit into that and where do the cross sections meet
1: i think yeah it's going to have to be more on the painter collector side um I, I i don't think playing warhammer 40k with my kids counts as being a war game these days to be quite <laughs> honest with you um i mean it, it would be nice to get some more games in but i i have always i've always enjoyed the painting i mean it it's it's i find it very relaxing um, my two other hobbies alongside painting are listening to music and drinking wine. So happily, I can do all three at the same time. It's yep. fantastic. Um, and as a historian, as I said at the beginning, I've, I've always loved reading about military history. Um, the only novels I really read are historical novels. Um, I don't really read much else, to be quite honest with you. So, you know, painter, collector, historian in that order, I think.
0: Is the game inside? Is it a lack of opportunity or maybe not the drive to to game so much?
1: I think it's both of those. It's it's lack of time, lack of opportunity, um, and just there's just other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably ought to make a a, a bigger effort to, to actually get some games going. Because otherwise, as you say, the kind of collections they just sit in boxes and no one really gets um they never get used. But it's it's yeah it's it's a combination of all those. I think.
0: Yeah, and uh, how many figures do you think you've got? Have you done a Have you done a big count? Have you done oh, a great heavens. big figure count?
1: My My collection sort of breaks down into three bits. So, firstly, there's the lead pile, obviously, and the plastic pile, resin pile these days. Um, yeah. Secondly, there's loads of stuff I have painted but never actually based. I've got a huge ah, Macedonian. Right. Yeah, I've got a huge Macedonian, um, ancients collection which I've never actually based because I've never worked out how to how to base it and store it properly with all the pikes on. Um, there must right, be okay. way. I could probably find out quite easily how to do it, but I've got loads of things like that. Germanic tribesmen, lo- loads of Caesarian mm-hmm. Romans, the whole kind of copplestone sculpted foundry, ancient ranges. Range. they have got loads of those just sitting around in boxes. Um, so I've no idea how many of those are. The AWI, I think the last time I counted, I was nudging 3,000, yeah. uh, which the AWI is quite a lot actually. Um, and then in terms of the others, I'm guessing probably about another thousand or so. I mean, compared to other people's collections, I know that's not huge. Yeah. Um, but it takes up a lot of space in my house, so
0: it's a pretty huge <laughs> to me.
1: Um,
0: pikes, pike blocks, I store mine in, in a 24 and a half litre, really useful box. But I turn it upside down and put a MDF base on the lid so that you lift the bottom off so you don't knock the pikes as you're trying to pull oh, them out. That's a good out.
1: idea. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. Yeah,
0: well, good idea. Go. I've got the I've got the odd good idea up here. Odd good idea.
1: <laughs> trouble is, that it, it just means that I'll end up with another huge load of boxes to find to put in a corner, which my wife's going to complain about. Though, so maybe for the moment I'll just leave them where they are and, and <laughs> think about it. Think about it later. About yeah,
0: Sa- safer flat packed than yeah, uh, exactly. less less trouble flat packed. Uh, do you do much train or buildings that sort of thing?
1: No, that that's the one thing I've never really got into. Um, I just sense I'm not a natural train builder at all. Um, the most I can do is buy a load of kind of blue foamy bricks off eBay and then sort of build walls with them. I've done a, I've done a bit of that, but that's I'm I'm, I'm not into terrain at all. I, I just know I'd be rubbish at it. In the same way, I know I've got a couple of good friends who do build a lot of terrain, and they've got no interest in painting the figures. It's just I think for, for some of us, it's it's two completely different bits of a brain, and yeah, and you can you can, you can be in, do one and then not 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 enjoy doing the other.
0: Most definitely, I I can. I can spend hours and hours over figures and basing and getting units done and flags and the whole... Come to do a building or a a, a wall or something, 10 minutes and I'm bored. And I, it's
1: yeah, just, exactly.
0: I, I think you're right. I think there are two different parts of the brain. One is the um, terrain maker and one is the painter of figures. Uh, I I need a good mate who does terrain is what I need. So if you're out there... <laughs> and you're near Leeds and you fancy building some tables come and see us Uh, are you on social media at all do you do anything um, uh, Facebook I think I've seen you on
1: yeah yeah yeah, I'm on I'm on Facebook, um, and um, I'm a member of, of, of a few few of the forums. But um, again, it, it's I think that the the blog was always the way I put myself out on social media. Yeah, um, I I don't really Facebook much at all. I mean, I, I joined Facebook. I remember some oh. my wife could share photographs of us in New Zealand, to be honest. So, um, <laughs> but I, I've, I've noticed that a lot more gamers now seem to be on Facebook rather than on blogs. I don't know whether that's uh, yeah. That there's a particular reason for that, With it's just easier to get stuff out on Facebook or I know photo bucket had a lot of issues and, and um, sometimes blogs are quite difficult to manage. So maybe people just find Facebook easier to use, but there are there are loads and loads of people now on Facebook, lots of groups. I'm a member of member of, you know, Gasland, AWI groups and that sort of thing. They're very good for getting inspiration. And I completely agree. And what you said right at the beginning that you know, magazines is how you, you used to get inspiration and you said, yeah. wait four weeks before your next sort of inspiration. The <laughs> yeah. fantastic yeah. thing about now is that you can just you know within five minutes there'll be a whole new load of stuff um, yeah. on anything and uh, yeah. it's fantastic uh, but of course the trouble is it's just more inspiration that leads to more money more projects more down the rabbit hole kind of ideas and and ultimately yeah. less time but that's all that's the hobby is
0: well that's a lovely first section and a, lo- a lovely introduction giles thank you very much for that uh, we'll just take a short break now ladies and gentlemen and we'll be back in a moment and we're going to have our usual second section where we have a chat about big games So in the second section of the podcast, we always have a chat about big games and and what that means to uh, the people that we're talking to today, uh, just to get different opinions from all over the hobby. Um, So um, if I said big game to you, Giles, what what springs to mind? What do you think a big game is?
1: To me, it's, um, I suppose, historical inquiry. I mean, mm. I think there are lots of different types of games you can play. Obviously, skirmish games, low-level actions, um, things like that. Um, big games, to me, are the biggest battles in a period. Mm. And the ones I've been involved in, certainly from my perspective, they've been a lot of fun to play by themselves anyway. But to me, it's been, here's one of the biggest battles of the period. I want to see how it happens. I want to know why it happened. Mm. I want to see if anything could have happened differently. Um, and that's because, to me... So the gaming side of the hobby has always been about that. It's always been about recreation. Mm. Um, and I completely understand that you can have lots of fun with imaginary stuff and all that kind of thing. But that, that That's fantastic. But but for me, it's always been about understanding why history happened the way it did and why these battles happened the way they did. Um, and so when I think about big, big games, I think about the, the enormous things I've seen at Salute, which have been fantastic. And particularly for me, the the games we did for the AWI, um, again, back going back some years now, but we had a, a series of games in the um, the National Picture Gallery at the uh, National Army Museum. Mm. Um, and we chose the biggest battles of the war. And it was very much designed to see, we're going to have a great game, but we're going to try and work out how it happened and, 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 and what, what might have happened. And we did, what did we do? We did um, uh, Brandywine and Monmouth and Long Island, three of the really, the, the mm. largest battles, almost the only really three big set piece army level Battles there were in the AWI. The others, most of the other battles are quite a lot smaller, or they were sieges, or they were there were uh, attacks on fortworks, that sort of thing. Um, so we did two of those in the National uh, National Army Museum. The third one we did at the I think it was the South travel lodge of the M25, which wasn't quite oh, quite, quite as glamorous. Because <laughs> um, of course the National Army Museum, you had uh, in, in the in the portrait gallery, you had paintings of all these 17th, 18th, 19th century generals looking down there, and it was really um, quite. Um, Quite uh, dramatic, and, and also the, the the public were wandering through as well. So that was quite fun trying to explain to them what we were doing, and some of them seemed quite interesting, some of them weren't. But it was it was it was good to actually interact with the uh, with the public a bit. Um, so as I say, that's what a big game to me is. It's it's a chance to actually recreate some momentous event in mm. in, in in a period, and and just see if you could you know ha- how you would do yourself as yeah. one of the generals. And I remember with with the Long Island game. That was, I think, generally thought to be the last chance that the British Army actually had to defeat and crush the rebellion in the field. And I was on the um, I was on the British side, but I wasn't in charge of actually the the um, uh, side of the of, uh, of the game where they're actually trying to pin down and destroy um, the Continental Army. I was, I was I was more on the side, but it was it was fascinating seeing the game was there; they were really going for it, and they were trying to see whether they could actually break in to the breastworks mm. behind which um, uh, uh, Washington had retreated and and on the day they didn't quite go that far they just basically let the let the continental army slope off and, and what we tried to do was, you know, can we actually get them? Can we break in, surround them, and end the rebellion there and then? Uh, and as it happened, they couldn't. Um, although the, I think I think one unit <laughs> of – one of my Highlander regiments did actually get in, one of the one of the units I painted, but but were then thrown out of the out of the earthworks. But that's the sort of thing I, I'm, I'm getting at. It's just trying to see, you know, if they'd just gone in a bit harder, if they'd pushed it a bit more, if they'd rallied their troops mm-hmm. a bit better and just had one last charge, could the British actually have – Stop the war there and then. Um, and chances are, if they had done that, the chances are the rebellion would have flared up somewhere else. Who knows? But um, that's what I—that's that, the sort of feeling I'm getting at. Just, just trying you know, feeling that you're almost testing history to see if, see if it, 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 yeah. it, it might have happened differently.
0: So it's it's more of a a recreation rather than a, a big game for a big game's sake.
1: That yeah, it, 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 to me it is. Yeah, to me it is. But yeah. it's, it's yeah. You know, it, it, The game itself, chatting to people, being part of that, that, that's obviously fantastic too.
0: I think I remember reading on your blog that um, Dave Brown was involved in those games at the National Army Centre.
1: Yeah, he was. It was very much a kind of General de Brigade, British Grenadier um, uh, uh, duopoly. It was was sort of... uh, there were normally two games going on there was one napoleonic one i think they were doing various bits of waterloo at various times and then there'd be us mm. awi guides on the other on the other side um and henry hyde turned up a couple of times so i think oh, two of the her. games featured in in battle games because he was there taking all his, all his amazing photographs so um i really you know you did feel you were part of something quite special um certainly i did mm. because it wasn't something I, I did all the time imagine for those guys they did that kind of thing probably several times a year um but but i found it absolutely amazing and just just seeing the scale of what those battles are because skirmish games of all the ages these days. And, you know, it's it, it, it's quite rare, I think, certainly for me outside of the big um, things like mm-hmm. Salute to actually see such a big game. And, and it's also fantastic seeing so many of your figures out on a table, um, you know, do, doing their stuff. You can't beat that feeling.
0: Definitely. And uh, also our mutual friend, Ec- Eclairur, should we call him EC from now on?
1: The enigmatic EC, yes.
0: The enigmatic, whose who's, uh, true identity we shall uh, we shall keep secret, um, but uh, he was involved as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think he it, it, it was it was him, Dave Brown, and Brendan Morrissey, who's written various Osprey books on the AWI. Um, they were the brain brains behind the operation, um, and they set it up, and, mm. and, and it was primarily, I think, a Lauten Strike Force driven um, driven setup. Um, hence the sort of South Mims area, which was a handy for all of us to get to. But um, yeah, so it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we looked to try and try and do one of those things again. Um, I, it it, it take, takes a lot of coordination. But again, I sort of found that the, what I enjoyed most in, in, in those was I like being given a little, a, a little group of figures to paint. It was like, here's your brigade, mm. you go off and paint those. And I like the kind of planning, the painting, knowing I had time to get things done. Mm. Getting it all ready. I remember the first, the uh, the first of those games. I remember painting, hand painting flags the night before the game started, um, wow. <laughs> and I thought this is absolutely ridiculous. But it, it was just, it was fantastic. Um, it was a flag for it was a, it was the second the second battalion of a regiment, and whilst it's very easy to get AWI flags. From the professional flag companies, none of them do the mm. Second Battalion, which have a funny kind of—I think it comes the English of War. It's a funny little kind of yellow wavy line that sort of comes down from, yeah. from the left-hand edge. So I thought, if I'm going to put my Second Battalion the pylanders on there, I'm dead damn well going to have the right flag. Um, <laughs> and I remember—I remember—I was, I was watching Children in Need. I remember at the time thinking, I t- "What am I doing? Painting a flag the night before a massive game? I've got to drive to South Mims, and I'm I'm watching Children in Need." But it's—that's the kind of moment that I've—you yeah, can't beat that kind of feeling. Exactly.
0: Absolutely is crazy. there anything? Is there anything kind of on a wish list of big games that you that you've not had chance to do? That you you know any battles that stick in your mind that you think? Yeah, I'd like to have a go at that.
1: I'd I'd like to have a go. Going back to the other periods I was talking about, I'd, I'd really like to have a go at some of the bigger battles from the First Carlis War and the um, Great Paraguayan War. I mean, thinking one of the connections between the First Carlis War and the um, AWI. Um, There's quite an interesting historical point here, actually, is that, that the, uh, the first main sort of big set peace battle, the AWI, was, was Bunker Hill. You had the kind of, sort of battle of Lexington Concord. Um, but Bunker Hill was the first time you had British troops assaulting mm. uh, an American position. And I remember reading, I forget the exact percentage, but it was something like a quarter or a fifth of the entire officer casualties in the entire war on the British side were at Bunker Hill. It was, it, well, was, no. it, was, it was that bad. It was an absolute bloodbath on the on the British side, mm. even though eventually they carried the position, largely, I think, because the Americans were running out of ammunition towards the end. <laughs> um, and then in the 1830s, 1834, I think, maybe, in the First Carlist War, the British a- Auxiliary Legion, because this was a time where if there was any war anywhere, a bunch of Brits and Irish would get together and they'd form a legion <laughs> and they'd go off and yeah. they'd sort of get themselves killed. Um, so the British a- Auxiliary Legion uh, assaulted. I think it was San Sebastian or something, somewhere like that. But but the, the, they assaulted earthworks, and again, mm. even though they won, it was a bit of a bloodbath. And the the Times newspaper referred to a Bunker Hill display being made, which Ooh. I thought was very interesting when I read about that because yeah. it, it just shows that Bunker Hill clearly resonated even fifty years later. It was all sixty years yeah. later, it still resonated in the newspaper reading classes as mm. you know a bloodbath calamity that happened when you know, British officers were sort of mown down. Um, but that that's about having having done Bunker Hill a few times i 'd like to have a go at doing that first Carnage war attack now, again to see whether you mm. know there's a way of of winning without suffering such appalling losses um but it's interesting when two two of your periods kind of converge like that in just a kind of little historical reference mm.
0: and um were there many big i'm I'm learning all about this Pararine war here um were there many big battles in that particular? conflict?
1: There were, yes. I'm not going to try and pronounce them because my my, my uh, <laughs> South American pronunciation is, is, is not good at the moment. Um, again, there were lots of assaults. Um, the Paraguayans like to sit behind um, uh, prepared positions with enormous... I think not just twenty four pound efforts or of forty-eight pounder guns. Wow. And the Argentinians and the Brazilians, usually surrounded by marshes, would just charge at them and they could gain it. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a very interesting game, actually. They'd just be yeah. mowed down. Um but there were lots of big battles like that. The, the terrain was very, very marshy, lots of rivers. There were some you know, most most of the scenarios I've seen in the books I've looked at have got river boats or firing missiles at, at people. Um so in the um in the rules I've been looking at, whether is actually quite an important part of the game. You sort of dice to see what the weather effects are going to be because often, you know, a bit of rain here and there can have a much, much more um, fierce effect in that theatre of war than it might do in, in something like Europe because in Paraguay you have you suddenly have rivers flooding and marshland suddenly you can't get through it where you could have got through it maybe an hour or so ago. Um, mm. So again, sort of train there is, is really quite important and I'd like to see... i'd I'd like to get to a stage where i've got enough figures to actually just sit down by myself and have a go at something like that to be honest
0: yeah so is there a specific set of rules for that period then
1: uh there is one called fields of blood no that's 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 something from um i think it's something like that it's come out of brazil um it's a brazilian set of rules that um i think caliber cell I'll, i'll remember the name in a minute but um but What I like about rules, and I, I should say I hate reading rules, I find it very, very difficult to read rules mm. um, but I prefer rules which are specifically tailored towards a particular um, period rather than the kind of more generic ones and I know I've got quite in vogue in certain areas these uh, these days but, but but those rules are specifically for the Great Paragon War and as I say they cover things like terrain and weather and, and, and important things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much of a, of a similar mind. I, I like very, very tight um, sets of rules that give those sorts of things, um, give a period of flavor, if you like. Whereas, yeah, you know, the, I can't remember what the WRG was now, was it 1684 to 1815 or yes. something like that? And, and you just think, I'm pretty sure the warfare changed a reasonable amount during that period of time. And, and ancient rules that go from 3,500 BC to 1182 A.D. or something like that. It's mostly spear chucking. I appreciate that, but uh, I'm pretty sure that there's some variation on uh, how historicals battles were fought during those times.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's very important. To, well, and, and and certainly for me, because I see gaming as historical inquiry, it's very important for me that the rules are as close to the period and capture mm. the nuances of that particular period. As much as possible, and I know we'll, we'll come on to it later, but that, that's very much why I got into the British Grenadier, Rules C.W.I., because I think they mm. they set out to be as historically accurate as possible, um, and I think that's very important. I think if, if you're going if you're going to go to the effort of painting all these figures, which takes a huge amount of time, spending all that money, you know, at least have a go at actually replicating what actually happened on the yeah. day, um, in with, with rules that allow you to do that, rather than do to do something, um, you know, like wheeling up. Um, uh, uh, guns as if they were horse artillery when they're clearly not horse artillery. You know, importing <laughs> ideas from yeah. later periods into earlier periods. Um, I got very cross when someone did that in an AWI game. I said, horse artillery didn't exist here, just stop it. But they said, well, there's nothing to stop me doing it. So I think I think you need to have rules that, you know, enable you to only do what was available to the generals on the day.
0: Yeah, I, I, I find that with, um, with Italian wars in a lot of people, uh, which is one of my big periods, is, is that people will kind of expect this um pike block with 3 or 4000 men in to kind of pirouette like a bar- ballerina and get really upset when it 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 can't really wheel that well um, so it yeah, yeah. i like uh, i very much uh, like the the type uh, period on the on the rules um so do you, have you noticed uh, a sort of a drive towards the smaller skirmish type games in over recent years in in the hobby
1: i think I think, yes, in terms of just what you see coming out of the magazines. I mean, I can't really, you know, not not, not going to a club every week. I can't I can't speak to what, mm. what, what clubs are doing or things like that. I mean, the the, the group of gamers I know who I, I play games with, I mean, they're pretty like-minded. So we tend to do the proper battles. Um, some of the Kiwi mm. guys I know like skirmish games because they're just easier to do. It takes less time. It's less cost. It's, you know, you can, you can get something on the table a lot more quickly. And I think there's certainly a space for that as i mentioned right at the beginning the sort of things i'm doing in my own to do boys are, are basically scout skirmish games um so there's, there's plenty of scope for that um but i think because of where i grew up um in terms of the hobby which you know, i came from napoleonics i came from watching waterloo mm. on tv and said things like that means to me well i see what well, i want out of the hobby is just spectacle i want big games lots of beautifully painted figures um, and I want to kind of you know recreate these pivotal moments in history and, and try and find out what happened. Um, but skirmish gaming is good. There's no you know not trying to trying to do it down at all. There's always always a um, a place. That everything that's hobby, and one of the things that's so great about it is you can pretty much do what you like. And no one's going yeah. to ever tell you off for doing. A type of game yeah. that no one else wants to do
0: exactly we, we we just like to promote the bigger game here um because it kind of drifted out of fashion a little bit so uh, we're kind of holding our little flag up and going have a look at these big games they're great uh, and uh, i'm glad to see you're of a similar mind so we'll have Thank another you. short break ladies and gentlemen and uh, then it's back for our world famous quiz Well, everyone, it's uh, that time that our guests are a little bit worried about doing a quiz, and uh, uh, we we enjoy it here. And uh, just our usual warning to uh, members of the public that we're not here to upset anyone with any of the views that are expressed on this uh, (laughs) quiz. And uh, it's not a case of being right or wrong. It's just a case of how Yorkshire gamer are you? And, of course, everyone knows that everyone in Yorkshire is is right about everything, whether you tell us that we're wrong or not. So, uh, Giles, just uh, very straightforward. They're they're either yes or no answers or one or uh, another. And um, there will be a number of um, regionally biased questions that um, you may notice because they're not particularly subtle. Okay. Uh, So, are you ready to go? 20 20 questions? Okay, let's do it. Uh, So, the first question is, um, go big or go home
1: go big go big that applies to wine uh, glasses as well <laughs> excellent the better. excellent
0: um contrast paints are they great or are they a gimmick uh
1: i've seen them if people like using them um i think that's fine but i've yeah, gimmick gimmick
0: gimmick Um, We're going paintbrushes now. Um, Are you uh, getting a new mortgage and going for Windsor & Newton? Or are you being sensible and getting Yorkshire-made pro-art?
1: Pro-art. Simple reason I use Foundry and GW Paints, and they are brush killers. So there's no point in spending large amounts of money on brushes that are going to be dead in a week, and mine are dead in a week.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, 96 figures. Would you consider that an army or a pipe block? Pike block. Pike block, oh, this is what we like to hear. <laughs> um, six by four table, would you say that was a big game or a small
1: game? Uh, small, but that that's average, I would have thought.
0: Yeah, but that's the, yeah, that's where I put it. Yeah, Got me in a lot of trouble when I first said that. <laughs> a lot of trouble. Um, points-based army or an historical order of battle? Historical order of battle every time. Oh, that's that's what, well? it's
1: all, that's what it's all about for me.
0: You're doing well. You're doing well. Uh, question seven. Um, when you're mixing your paint, would you go for a wet palette or an old bit of
1: MDF? I'd go for MDF. I actually mix paint on coins. Uh, coins? But, but not on Her Majesty's head. Um, always the reverse. Um,
0: obviously. Side. Obviously. God, God bless her. Uh, mm. <laughs>
1: uh, so uh, is that a flat
0: coin or uh, I'm trying to. Th-
1: no, they, they, just any any loose pennies that I've, I've I've got lying around. I just use. I don't know why it's just, it's just a habit I've grown into. Oh, that's an interesting. There's no reason one. to it at all.
0: We've had we've had all bits of newspaper. We've had tiles. We've had all sorts of stuff, but we've never had a coin. So that's um, I'm impressed with that. Like it's, that it's
1: it's it's probably illegal. It's probably some bylaw from the 1600s that says it's illegal to mix paint on a coin of the realm or something like that. Well, you did the right
0: thing. Is is that you mix them on the side.
1: exactly, right? exactly? Because
0: when I when I base on when I base on um, penny well base pennies or two pence pieces, I always glue the figure to the reverse side. And yeah, I, I do as well. Sovereigns yeah.
1: head. excellent. Can't,
0: can't deface the sovereign. Excellent Well We're we're definitely uh, singing from the same hymn sheet on <laughs> that one. Um, when you're counting your figures, do you go black or white?
1: Black. Black it was or... one of. The, I think it was one of the great epiphanies for my painting style. Was when I moved mm. from white to black. It just made a massive difference, and I don't know why. I'm sure there's some scientific reason for it, but it just seemed to make a big difference. I know it's controversial, but it it, it works for me.
0: No, we're black undercoaters here. We're, we we love it. We love it. Um, now, um, another regionally biased question. Um, you you're you're after a hot drink? Would you go for Yorkshire tea? Oh, dirty mucky coffee.
1: It would be coffee, I'm afraid, can. Oh no. I'm no, I'm not no. I'm not a tea drinker. Are you not? No. Oh,
0: dear. That's 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 down south, that is. That's the down south coming out of you
1: there. Uh, Yeah, it is. I feel quite ashamed actually. <laughs> I feel almost almost un English.
0: <laughs> Question ten. Um when you're basing your war games units and it's historically correct, do you prefer them tightly packed or socially distanced?
1: Ah, I prefer them in the middle. I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Um, I'll I'll say tightly packed, because that's how I base my Napoleonics and my first Carlist War. But everything else, I base on a slightly looser frontage. AWI, ACW, Great Paraguayan War. And that's partly because for uh, rules that I use, the AWI and the Great Paraguayan War, they like that they, they like to have slightly looser frontages, I'm sorry, mm. slightly larger frontages, which which reflects the nature of the terrain. What actually happened, but also some of these figures are so big you can't actually squeeze them on the base,
0: <laughs> and then once you yeah. glue them
1: to the base, you can't then actually you know do the basing because they're so tightly packed. So I I do like to have a bit of a bit of additional space, and that's partly for aesthetic reasons I've just said, so I can actually do the bases properly, but also partly because it reflects the particular period.
0: Uh, i agree um i've just been painting or i've painted quite a lot of gringo 40 um garibaldi figures recently mm. and they're massive um yeah. and they really are a struggle to get on the base um and they're really know, the tall as base. well aren't
1: they yeah yeah got figures. Some their, yeah they're, they're, they're lovely but i got some of their napoleonic guard figures um mm. i've to put on command base but they are considerably they're a good like three three centimeters taller than the founding ones I got, which aren't good examples, but yeah, but but they are beautiful figures. Loads of detail. Yeah.
0: Uh so we're just over the halfway point, doing really well so far. Um question eleven. Uh would you prefer a two hour club game or a weekend monster game?
1: Weekend monster, yeah. Uh, awesome.
0: Uh now this this next question typically um divides the north from the south. <laughs> um so avocado. Are they just posh mushy peas? Uh,
1: I hate avocado with a passion. I think it's absolutely yes. pointless. I was say a vegetable. I've no idea if it's a vegetable. I don't know what it is. I don't think avocado even knows what it is. It's just there's nothing to it that's remotely attractive or nice ah. or worth eating.
0: That's what that's what I like to hear. That's because the, the from this podcast, the avocado line seems to be around Birmingham. North is mushy peas. <laughs> uh, avocado seems to be south. So you, you've you've tipped the trend there, Giles. But uh, I,
1: I, I sense there's part of me that's yearning to be a Yorkshireman. I've, I've had that feeling for a while, actually. Yeah. Partly because of the cricket, I think.
0: Yeah, cricket and tea, and being able to say what you think.
1: <laughs>
0: now this is the universal question. There's no pressure on you here, Giles. But we're on uh, episode thirty-one, and every single guest has. has uh, Picked this uh, answer, the same answer to this question. Um, So, round dice, spherical dice, are they allowed on your table or are they banned? Round dice?
1: Like not not, not hexagonal or 20 sided dice or?
0: Like a marble with numbers
1: on. Like a marble but with numbers on. I'm shocked that those exist. I've never seen them. (laughs) Why on earth would you have How do they stop rolling? How do you actually get a dice result with a round dice? do they just roll off the table anyway?
0: That's my point. That's my point.
1: That's not there with avocados. It's just one of the most pointless things in human existence.
0: That's brilliant. That's what I liked here. Now, the, uh, years ago, somebody brought them here and and we had that exact effect is that they would roll, knock a couple of pikes off, and then end up off the table. And the rule here is dice off the table don't count. So you have to roll them again and you lose... Anyway, the band. It's as simple as that. And and. Uh, it's nice to see that in this time of you know difficult political time where there's so many different opinions about everything that everyone can agree that round dice are banned.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's, I, it's suppose could be, a, I suppose you can put them in dice trays because that's a that's a new trend, isn't it? Everyone has dice trays these days. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But no, I think we would put them in the bin. I think it's the yeah. best place for them. I agree. Um, so. Um, Another, another. This is uh, David Marshall from TM Terrain. He suggested this question, so blame him. Um, you're going down the chip shop. Do you have haddock or cod for fish? Uh,
1: I don't eat fish.
0: You don't eat fish?
1: No, I've never, I've never liked it. I think it's something about the oh. texture and the taste. I don't eat fish. Oh. I don't eat some um, seafood because I refuse to eat anything that lives in a shell. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a <laughs> phobia for that, but it's just, just, just. It's not like eating mushrooms. Mushrooms are fungus. Why do you eat fungus? Yeah, I can I can see the point there. I can see
0: a point there. Um, so question fifteen. Um, do you like a good table and a set of rules like a um a casualty table?
1: I think so. I like tables, yeah. I don't like rules yeah. generally, but I like tables because they can make it easier to understand.
0: We've got a lot of a lot of rules these days. It's just dice roll and you're dead um, yeah, rather yeah, than exactly. a, than a table. Brilliant. Um question sixteen. Uh twenty eight mil is king. Yes or no? Yes. Excellent. Uh, Question 17. Um, Unpainted miniatures, are they allowed on the table? Yes or no? Uh,
1: I'm going to disappoint you by saying yes. And that's purely because if I banned unpainted figures from my son's um, Warhammer 40k games, I'd be in a lot of trouble. I'll let you off with that. I'll let you off with that. It's Dad's answer.
0: Do you know anything about football?
1: No. No. But try me anyway.
0: Try me. Um, It's a simple question between. Bradford City, who's the team that I support, and Leeds United, also known as Dirty Leeds.
1: <laughs> um, I'd go for the former because I think I've seen a film about Leeds United when they were a really dirty team. Yes. Wasn't, yeah. that, wasn't that just before Brian Clough took over?
0: Yeah. And he yeah. told me,
1: you're a bunch of dirty players. So I, I, I don't like dirty players in any shape or yeah. any walk Excellent. of life. Certainly.
0: Excellent. That's what we'd like to see. Um, another regionally biased question. Um, would you go for Yorkshire? Or the other place over the hill. Wait, mean Lancashire? Oh, he said it. He said it. He said it. We'll have to. We'll have to cut that out.
1: Uh, I go for Yorkshire purely on the basis that I've actually been to York. Which I don't think I've ever been into Lancashire. Yeah, unless there's... I had to drive through Lanc- Lancashire to get to Yorkshire, but I don't think that was the case.
0: Yeah, it's full of witches and stuff like that, and Pendle witches, and that's that's all you know, Lancashire. <laughs> the occasional decent fast bowler, but apart from that. Um, final question Uh, Games Workshop are they the work of the devil?
1: well given my previous answers around 40k I've got to give them a pass but I think ultimately they are
0: they are Ah, brilliant! Well done, Giles. That's fantastic. You have scored eighty-five percent, which is uh, in the upper quartile. Uh, so you are wow. You, your, your dream to be a Yorkshireman is even closer because you are eighty-five percent Yorkshire gamer. So, that's that's <laughs> the highest
1: highest mark I've ever had in this exam ever. I think.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, and in the second part of uh, of the the quiz uh, section, we like to. Uh, ask our um, guests to nominate something for War Games Room 101. Now, you may remember George Orwell's Room of Horror, uh, and that was turned into a TV, guest, a TV show where guests would try and convince the host to put a pet hate of theirs into the room so it was banished forever. So, Giles, this is your chance, mate, to get rid of something that you hate in the hobby. Uh, have you come up with something?
1: I've come up with two ideas, and okay. which means I will throw them out, and then you can you can decide, Ken, which have, one have to should choose
0: be, which one goes in.
1: consigned yep. to flames. Um, one's quite an anal thing. The second is 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 probably more contentious. I think the f- the first thing is commercially bought flags with unpainted edges. It just it just makes me. I think I think it looks really odd. And I think if you're going to go to the effort of buying a flag and putting it on a pole and attaching it to your you know nicely painted, spanking new unit. At least paint the edges so it looks like a proper flag, not just a bit of paper yeah, yeah. that's got white, white edges. Now, having said that, I know from my own collection of AWI figures, which are quite old now, some of them, that when the flags, the main flags fade, you've then got a problem mm. because you've got a much darker edge than the rest of the flag, which looks even worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I still think that unpainted flag edges is it's it's just uh, it's, it's a no no for me. Yeah, so um, f- yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I like that. So that's the first one. The second one. Um, And it goes back to what we were talking about, I think, with sort of historical accuracy in a way. Um, And needless to say, I have had huge amounts of admiration to anybody who puts on a demo game at a show, Um, because I know from experience just how much work it, 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 it takes. But it does irk me a little bit where someone's gone to so much trouble with their figures, but there's just been no effort to replicate the time of the year in which the battle actually happened. Ooh. Ooh. So, for example, example battle set in October or November, like Agincourt, for example,
0: mm. but
1: model trees with full summer foliage and a massive lush green... You know, I've been to Agincourt. It's not what it looks like in October. It's really not. Yeah. It's a muddy field with trees that are half lost their, their leaves, the other half are orange. Um, yeah. Another example being a, a, an AWI game like Guildford Courthouse. Um, I'm, not, mm. I'm not actually thinking of any particular games, but it, it just strikes me as, as a good example, which was fought in March, 1781. And we know from what people told us about the battle, it was cold, muddy, wet and miserable. Um, mm. But because the battle was in North Carolina, which is in the South, and everyone knows it's really hot in the South. Again, you have enormous summary tables mm. and you know, um, and and all the all the militia figures. They're all in Southern dress with shirt sleeves. If they're running off to the beach, because again it's, it's so Carolina, it's, it's hot in Carolina. No, it was really cold and miserable. They were probably wearing three layers. It's yeah. and again, it slightly irks me that it, again, if you're going to get the trouble of putting on a game, at least try and think about the, the time of year, the terrain, not just not just the figures. It's just, but it, mm. it's a very pedantic point. And as I say, people who go to the effort of putting on these these massive games and, and get that thing wrong or don't think about it or don't worry about it, they're fully entitled to do that.
0: Yeah. I think maybe you talked yourself out of that one well at the end there, right? <laughs> but mm. I have to say, I have to say, as soon as you said unpainted edges on flags, the back, I could feel the back of the hairs on the back of my neck going, because that is one of my absolute, oh, it drives me nuts. And I've I've seen, and I've seen some absolutely amazingly painted figures um, that clearly have taken hours and hours uh, to get right with wonderful bases. And then all I can see is the edge of the flag that isn't painted. So without doubt, we can hear the vault opening and uh, <laughs> the, the unpainted edges of flags. Is, flags is of going. <laughs> It There are
1: probably hundreds of thousands is. of them in the world. <laughs> All going in.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, we'll take our final break before we move on to the big topic. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is why we're we're all here. This is the big topic section uh, where we get to uh, speak to our guest about uh, why they're here. Uh, and uh, with Giles, it's all about uh, the blog. And um, I want you to imagine one of those wibbly-wobbly things on television that you used to like have on uh, Doctor Who when you went back in time. And we're going to go back to Thursday, the 4th of January. 2007 and the introductory post on Tarleton's quarter. So Giles, <laughs> tell us, tell us how it all started. How did you get to pressing that publish button
1: on that day? To be quite honest, I was given a digital camera for Christmas and I thought oh, that was <laughs> quite fun. Um, and, but I, I, I'd been, I'd been obviously painting AWI for a while and I was on various forums with other people who were posting loads of photographs of their amazing AWI collections. And mm. I, f- I felt a bit left out, to be quite honest with you. Um, and also, as, as I said before, I was also conscious that I was putting a lot of things, painting a lot of figures, putting them in boxes, and that was where they were sitting. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Mm. And it actually started at the same time as I kind of then discovered, um, I think, about the same time, I then discovered the the whole British Grenadier um rules and things. Um so it was, it was all a very good confluence of 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 events at the same time. But I thought it was a way of actually creating motivation for myself by thinking, if I paint these things, I can put them out on the on the um on the blog. And I was I was I was very fortunate that that very quickly a lot of very friendly people were um gracious enough to leave comments and say they thought what I what I was doing was useful. And I was also doing a lot of research for the regiments I was painting for AWI because as I said earlier back then um, I mean, there've been loads of books written about the AWI, but there weren't as many useful wargaming-related resources as there are now. Mm. There are loads of good uniform books now. in mean, Australia have gone mad over the AWI the past, past few years. Um, lots of other other good um, books put out by um, uh, other authors and wargamers. And so I was doing a lot of research, and I thought it would be quite useful to put some of that out there as well, in terms of what I'd found about what figures, um, what what, what uh, uniforms were, and what they what they wore. And also, as I said earlier, it, it seemed to me that at the time the AWI wasn't as well known as it is now. Um, it mm. still seems maybe maybe not niche as such, but it, it wasn't as big now as it is. Um, I remember there were a couple of big collections that used to do um, used to come out regularly in the uh, in the magazines. Um, John Ray, for example, but there didn't seem to be that much else. Um, and I just thought it'd be fun, so uh, I started it. And then, in the way of blogs, as you know, can they kind of take on a life of their own? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I kind of. After a while, I say a while, I mean about 10 years, I kind of felt a bit tied to the AWI because I thought most of it's about that. And all the people who read it seem to like the AWI. Um, I wouldn't say I was getting bored of it, but I did feel there was a need to branch out and just do something a little bit different. So that's when Mm. I started branching out into other periods like the first Colors War and the other things we've we've, we've talked about. And of course, right at the beginning, there was the um, Waterloo game at, at, at Salute and that sort of thing. Um, But I was very lucky that it it did seem to to pick up a a good readership um, and people were very very generous with their their comments. And and it it was a way of giving life to my collection, to be honest.
0: You'd already started the AWI collection. So where was the drive um, to get that started initially before you'd done the blog?
1: Well, the the way the AWI journey started was... um, Do you remember the when Foundry was a big a big concern, when Foundry was kind of the, the main people of Wargaming, um, and they would have these amazing sort of six, seven, eight page adverts at the back of the mm. Wargames Illustrated, huge painting, uh, uh, collections of painted figures, which looked fantastic, loads of new releases. I remember they uh, they came out with their AWI range, and there was a pack of standing um, Continental Infantry, all painted in different uniform colours. I thought, mm. wow, that's really nice. I knew nothing about the AWI, and I thought, I'll just get a couple of packs of those and paint them up to see how they look. And I painted them up, and I thought they looked quite good. So I bought a few more, and then I bought a few more. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was actually beginning to have the sort of kernel of a, of a collection. And at that stage, I was also on the General de Brigade War Games Forum, because I was trying mm. to kind of bring some order to my 15 mil Napoleonics collection, which, again, they were lying in boxes unbased. So I bought the General de Brigade rules, started basing them up. And it was at that time that EC released the British Grenadier rules. Mm-hmm. So what I had was a new range of figures that I was painting. A new set of rules had, had, had just come out. EC and various others were very, very generous with their time on the um, General Brigade Forum and, and elsewhere in terms of explaining these rules and helping helping me with the period. It just kind of snowballed from there. And, and then, of course, Alan Perry started his new range when he left, he and Mike left yeah. Foundry and started their own company. And I found it was great fun to sort of buy the, the latest releases as soon as they came out, and then paint them up, put them on the blog with literally within days of kind of the announcement being yeah. made that these figures have been released. Um, uh, and that that gave me a bit of a buzz to be honest. So it was it was a very coincidental confluence of those factors that mm. started an odyssey, which yeah, as I said, took about thirteen years until actually I thought I'm going to concentrate more on other things now. Um, and produced a collection of of you know thousands, thousands of figures, and and yeah. and and has found me new friends everywhere. It's, it, it was it's been, it's been a fantastic journey.
0: When I speak to wargamers, um, it, it kind of uh, it's like talking sometimes to a drug addict, if you like, because it's like I, I just started with a couple of packs, um, and now I'm doing brigades.
1: Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Did you have a uh, an interest in the A.W.I. already historically?
1: No, I didn't. Um, it was purely it was purely those figures. There was something about those sculpts and the way they looked and the way they were uniformed and the, and the way they were dressed that got me excited about it. But then once once I read more about the A.W.I. as part of the research and to understand how the how the war fought, um, I realised just what a fascinating period it is. Mm-hmm. In that you've got so many different types of engagements, you know everything from sort of frontier Indian raids, through skirmishes to sorts on fixed positions to the set-piece battles we were talking about earlier. Um, it's got it's, it's not just one side against the other. You've got the Indians, you've got the French, you've got the Spanish down south. You've got loads and loads of things. Um, So it's a very fascinating period, um, particularly also because of the Civil War element as well, because it was possibly a a Civil War, which I think often sometimes sometimes we forget, um, with huge ramifications in terms of immigration to Canada and things like that. Um, So that was all quite fascinating. And then again, the actual armies themselves, I think, are quite unique in that you don't really need much cavalry, which is a, a Mm. a bonus, because whilst i <laughs> i'm I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy painting horses and and uh, I enjoy painting them you know it, it's buying loads of cavalry that put a lot of people including myself off to Napoleononics now i think um yeah. and you don't you, you don't need sort of masses and masses of artillery as well you just you just need mm. uh, m- mainly infantry and in the in the rules that that um we were we were using british grenadier, the units tended to be sixteen eighteen twenty four figures so quite quite yeah. small units even though you can have big of lots of them it was quite straightforward to kind of finish a unit and move on to the next one. And again, I find that if I'm spending too much time on something, that's when I start losing interest in it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I started painting, but I, I finished painting a 24 um, figure a uh, Napoleonic cuirassier unit once. And it, mm. it, I was going to say, it almost killed me. It obviously didn't. But <laughs> you know, I thought, I can't do this again. I really cannot. It took me a month. Yeah. I thought, I can't spend a month just on one unit, no matter how nice it looks at the end. And that's when I started losing interest in Napoleonics, I think, because I thought, I'm never going to get to a stage where I can paint the amount of cavalry that you need for a collection. Whereas with the AWI, you can do that quite quickly. You only really need three, three units on either side of the side. And if you want to use the mm-hmm. same one unit for whatever different regiments, then vine, you know, no one's really gonna complain mm-hmm. about that. So it, it was quite compact. But then at the same time, the color of that, but also something that again, paradoxically, I found quite attractive, was the sheer number of units engaged was huge. I mean, there were yeah. loads and loads of different you know, legions and militia groups and riflemen groups that, that that sort of come and go, which often, if you look in the scenarios, they kind of appear once and then they're never seen again. Mm. Um, but those are still fun to do. It was, it was sort of yeah. fun to find a little kind of legion like, uh, that, that sort of was quite unknown or South Carolina gentlemen cavaliers or something like that, you know, some unit that only existed for a few months. Uh, and paint that up, and i I did a, a spreadsheet. I went through all the four scenario books that have been released of British Grenadier, making a note of every every unit um and it 's about thirty five pages long because there are so many of them, uh, and even even <laughs> even some British regiments they only they 're only there for six months before they went back home again. Mm. All the Hessians they arrive they do do some big battles in the south, and they just go on to garrison duty because no one really trusted them much so <laughs> you find you find yourself your, your collection ends up growing quite a lot because if you 're a purist like I was then you know, you want to have each unit properly. Mm. You, you want to have the things that are, that are there in the orbats, even if they don't appear anywhere else. And I remember the, the, the one time I got to the I thought, what on earth am I doing? I was painting, again, it might have been the South Carolina Gentleman Cavaliers or something so silly like that, who appeared as reinforcements at turn 15 in one scenario. I remember thinking the chances of these figures ever actually appearing on a table, even if you get to turn 15, you know what happens, you know, turn 14, someone will say, oh, well, you've got reinforcements arriving next term, but you just call it a day. You know, that's likely what's going to happen. Yeah. So I painted something that had no utility whatsoever, but because it was on my spreadsheet, I had to kind of like, you know, tick it off. So um, I found myself becoming almost a slave to, um, not the blog as such, because the blog was only there to, to document what I was doing, but I found myself becoming a slave to the period in a way where eventually I kind of thought, I think I've done enough now. I'll do something a little bit different. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it in in, in the end, but um, it was it was, I say, a, a fantastic journey and um, a, a huge amount of fun to do. And I think a lot of people appreciated the focus on the AWI. I mean, it, it, as you said, I, I, was, I was very flattered and, and delighted to see that people were saying on forums, "Oh, you know, if you're just starting the AWI, go and look at charles's blog because it tells you, gives you a lot of useful stuff." And, and, and that, that's something I was trying, I was consciously trying to do to make it useful. So if you wanted to, you know, if you bought some Perrys and you wanted to sort of see how someone else had done them, then you know there they were; they were there, and you could find some information about the uniform and and the um the um you know, what, what battles that unit fought and that sort of thing.
0: And that, that was the that was the big plan, was it? Then the the spreadsheet that you developed from the scenario books.
1: It was. I, I I made a conscious decision. I was going to paint everything, and after thirteen <laughs> years, I realised I'd bitten off a bit more than I could chew. But then, funnily enough, I mean, if I decided to do that about Waterloo. You know, it would take, you know, five times that amount of time um, mm. if, if, if you were to do it yourself. But um, I still have my spreadsheet. I still look at it. I still think, yeah, I haven't, done that. I haven't done that. I've even got some of the figures I need to do this and that in my, in my lead pile. So I, 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 I will get back to it. But I, I got enough for most of the things that I wanted to do and most of the games that I was playing with people. Um, obviously, I painted a lot for those big, big mega games. Um, but there's always something else to do. I think people who say they've got to the end of a project. That that's fantastic, but it it seems to me you never quite can get to the end of a project <laughs> unless you've got your spreadsheet and you've done everything. Yeah, um, but I know not many people are you know sad enough to, to to do a kind of spreadsheet like that and then and then methodically work work through it.
0: Yeah, the um we've met we've kind of talked around it a couple of times. Um, but one of the things that drew me to it were those individual unit posts with the history um, and um yeah i think you've had quite a few of them you would um describe the size of them in the various battles that they appeared in um did you get a lot of feedback from people about how useful that was
1: i did um people clearly did find that, that useful in fact um i i sent a number of people the spreadsheet <laughs> i don't know how they've got on but um um people did did clearly find that useful the other thing i found um which i didn't know when i started and I should have thought about it actually, is that obviously for Americans, the American or well, the AWIs, they call it the American Revolution, is, is a massive deal. For them, it's obviously mm. the foundation of their country. It's hugely important to them, which means they have strong views about it oh, and they yes. have strong opinions about, about the um, the people who fought in it. And I got myself into trouble several times um, by getting things wrong and there was never a shortage of people. And a, a lot of them did it with the best of intentions, I'm sure. But um, mm. uh, I got to a stage where I thought there were some people who quite enjoyed sort of pointing out my mistakes. Um, particularly with flags. I mean, oh, the flags! Um, I remember there was because um, obviously now you can buy a lot of a lot of commercial flags. Mm. Uh, and again, back in the day when I started, there wasn't that much variety available. But the sort of mm. core regiments were were there. Um, and whilst I'd always prefer to um, to paint um, uh, to buy flags, I didn't mind painting them myself. And so I was painting one smaller unit of cavalry, Armand's Legion, and Armand, he was a, he was a French Aristo who'd sort of run foul of. Um, King Lou, I think he, he, he killed or injured his cousin in the duel, so he sort of fled so fled to America. Um and he had a unit of cavalry, about you know, twelve figures, something like that. Um and I wanted to do a flag. I couldn't find any information on the internet about the flag. No one did mm. the flag, so I thought it'd be quite fun to, you know, devise it yourself. Mm. And then, again, that's one of the fun things about the AWI. I think is that there is scope for a bit of artistic license, where yeah. just there's no nothing known about a uniform or what a, a unit looked like or what their flag was. You know, just make it up. You know, mm. it, <laughs> it, it, it's not hard to do, and no one can tell you off. Or so I thought. Um, yeah. So what I what I did was I thought, well, here's a Frenchman. He's fighting for um, American freedom. Um, so I thought of very into the kind of Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité kind of motto. I thought, you know, maybe he was the first person who came up with that. Who knows? So I put that down on the, on the flag. And then I thought he was, he was, he was a French cavalryman. He's leading a cavalry unit. Um, I'd always quite liked the you know, this little crossed um, uh, cavalry sabre kind of um, yeah. uh, motif of the 7th Cavalry and that sort of thing. And I thought, again, well, you know, maybe he thought of that. Who knows? So I did a flag like that, which I thought looked pretty good, actually. And I was quite <laughs> pleased with myself. But then, of course, I had lots of people telling me it was completely wrong. And it's completely yeah. wrong because no one knows what it looked like. Well, if no one knows what it looks like, how do you it's know? Like, I mean, it, it, <laughs> you know, Somebody might find it. Someone might dig it up in South Carolina you know, or something like yeah. that. Who knows? Um, but that clearly upset a few people in, in a way I thought was slightly, slightly odd. Um, but then also I found that other people have copied it, which is fine. I, I, I don't mind people copying um, my mind yeah. at all. It's absolutely fine. And, and they'd post things like saying, oh, thanks to Giles Allison for discovering what this flag really looked like. And I had to post, you know, do replies to their posting. No, no, I made it up. I really, I made it up. I completely made it up. <laughs> so they got annoyed. They thought I misled them in terms of what this flag was. that's when I realized you really, you really can't win sometimes. Um, another, another thing that, that, that made, made people cross, I remember, was um, I remember seeing years and years and years ago, again, in one of the, one of the early miniature war games or something, one of, the, one of the big AWI collectors had done a flag carried by militia saying, piss on King George which also, I right. was quite, you know, as a teenager, I thought yeah. that was quite funny. And then I, I finished painting a militia unit. United didn't actually have a flag to go with it. So I thought, oh, I'll just paint my own. And I thought, for a laugh, mm. I'll do piss on King George. Yeah. And boy, you know, again, I've got loads of people saying no one, no one ever had a flag like that. It's, you know, completely dishonorable to the people who fought in the war to say that they'd ever want to piss on a king. You know, thought, oh, it's, it's just a game. You know, but that's not realise, as I said, it is a game, but also it's history for a lot of people. And a lot of this is very important history to them. And if, uh, to anyone who's listening, if, if you think I, I, I maligned the great patriots who fought tyranny 300 years ago, I'm really sorry. It wasn't on purpose. Um, I'd never piss on a king either.
0: <laughs> well, I, I um, fell foul of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the, the American brigade because I'd, I'd painted a uh, turn back the wrong colour um and and i was absolutely convinced i was right and it, it turns out that i was right according to you remember the old blanford press book uniforms yes. of the awi well apparently loads of the stuff in there's wrong now yep. well yeah it was it was the bible when i was 16 or 17 so I, how am i to know any different um and yes it did uh, generate some very interesting reaction very interesting.
1: Yeah, I I I fell foul of Blanford as well because that was the the, the the main resource. I think there were a couple of ospreys that had come out, um, but it was mainly Blanford that, that you went to if you wanted to, you know, know particularly for the Continentals. Uh, yeah. And yes, it was Brendan, in fact, who sort of told me. I remember after after a few years that yeah, most of it's wrong. And then a lot of those mistakes have been repeated in, in subsequent books as well, which is which which is quite annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it, it, it it's slightly odd because I'm always pursuing the greatest historical accuracy I can. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm more than happy to make stuff up if, if I need yeah. to. And at the same time, I can make mistakes. I'm very sorry if I get people wrong. But at the end of the day, even if you are striving for, you know, the the best recreation you can, I think we need to remember it is it, it's just a game. And, you know, we're mm-hmm. not killing anybody. No one needs to get hurt. No one needs to feel that we're hurting their feelings deliberately or anything like that um and i think i think it's a shame when things like that kind of flare up on forums and things where you just want people to calm down and say look i you know, i i don't mean anything bad by what i've done if it's a mistake it's a mistake i don't you know i'm sorry
0: some people some people can get wound up about anything as um response to this blog uh, to this uh, um podcast on a number of occasions
1: um, Well, you said it yourself you know, the, the yorkshire people are very good at winding people up
0: yes that's true very true and i don't mean it at all ever, <laughs> honest. Um one of the things that one of the, the the great things about your your blog as well um was was the photographs. Um and uh I think I remember seeing a, a picture of you um kind of in the garden um taking some photographs of one of the units and um, did you have any special equipment or techniques or anything that you used to get your photographs
1: no i always felt the quality of my photographs was quite poor actually um because literally all i had was my digital camera and mm. uh the photographs you see are from largely two different locations because i moved house i think it was about 2010 um mm. well, i left london and moved out to essex and the ones before then are largely taken in um in my um uh, kitchen in in London, and they're quite dark. So mm. when I could, I go out into the garden. But then, uh, getting a backdrop is quite difficult, um, unless you go and paint one yourself. And that's something I, I've, I've been meaning to do for years. It could just. paint up some those kind of backdrops you used to see in the old magazines again you know sort of um uh, hills and and and, and trees and things but what i try and do now um now i'm in essex i've got a proper garden where i can with some sort of focusing tricks you can kind of phase out the background so it kind of uh, merges a little bit with the with the foreground um is actually kind of make it look like there's a proper proper background there um and obviously i can use use buildings as well um which are good, good, good backdrops to, to photos. But I always felt that my, my photos were a bit subpar, to be honest. Um,
0: but you, you would always, you would always like do a, a little scene. You would always have like trees in the background, or you know, a, yeah. a building or stuff like that. Which, which at the time was um, not unusual, but it, it was like it was making an effort as opposed to, you know, just on a table somewhere or actually against the kitchen appliance i've seen on a couple of occasions
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I yeah i tried to make it look artistic yeah um and also i i remember right at the beginning i tried to work out how you do that kind of very plain white background which I know some people do with these sheets of paper, and I spent about two hours trying to work out how to do it, and I just gave up. And that's probably where the trees came from because I thought I can't actually do all this white paper nonsense. I'll just put a tree there, um, and, that, and, that, and that's how it happened. But now I like to go, go, go out into the garden or in my kitchen table where I can sort of get rid of all the background by just crowding it with um, with, um, with buildings and things. So I managed to acquire quite a few touching history buildings, which provide good backdrops because they're quite big and quite, yeah. quite 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 tall, particularly in respect to sort of Spanish buildings, the first Carnage War and hmm. things like that.
0: A rail- railway modelling backdrop. Stick that into eBay. That's what you need, right? That's what you need. Um, I've got. I've, I've. If I can, uh, can you see that? Oh, background? yeah, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it was about ten quid or something like that, and it covers six six foot. So that's that's what you need that's what you need and that that was obviously a a fantastic um thing for an audio podcast i'm sure everyone enjoyed um thinking about what the backdrop looks like i'll put a picture i'll put a picture up somewhere <laughs> so uh, choice of figures then for your awi was it was it nat was it just naturally the you talks about the the foundry stuff and then the perry stuff as it came out
1: yeah exactly i mean I'm- Back when I started, it was pretty much a binary choice. I think there was there was the Foundry range, shortly then and Alan continued to Perry, or there was Old Glory. And I think when you look at the big AW collections, the Americans tended to go for Old Glory, and, and yeah. here in the UK we tended to go for, for Foundry Perry. And and to be frank, I mean I've, I've got Old Glory figures in my collection. I think aesthetically, particularly in terms of my painting style and the figures I respond well to, it was the Foundry Perry ones that were sort of more suited to to um, to me anyway. Um, but then other other companies came came and went. Um, Conquest Miniatures they did a fantastic range of, of Native uh, mm. Americans, which I, which I painted. I think Warlord might have those now. Um, I mentioned earlier, Eureka Miniatures produced some fantastic cavalry figures where you could um, uh, change the hats they wore, which was fantastic. If you wanted to build militia cavalry or some of the smaller units, um, that fought on the 40 American side down in the South, which which no one had really covered at all. Um, which, uh, up until then, you can only do if you did your own head swaps, mm. which, are, 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 like Terrain, I've got no idea how to do a head swap. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to try. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of other com- companies, I'm sure, are in there somewhere. But, um, again, I suppose a bit like me and, and my blog, I mean, Alan seemed to take the AWI. And he, he was churning stuff out for years, mm. I think, on that, until he started, started branching back into... Um, Napoleonics. And, and so, you know, we were very lucky to have that range going at the same time as British Grenadier took off. And I think it was, again, a, a, a very helpful coincidence that the British Grenadier rules, the big games we were doing, the Perry range, those could also drive each other along hmm. um, in the same way that they were driving along, along my, my blog as well. And for AWI gamers and anyone with an interest in the period, you know, it was a fantastic time for us.
0: And they, cause the because the Perry's, if I remember correctly, brought out specific ranges for specific campaigns as well, didn't they? They had some Saratoga yeah. campaign, if I remember correctly. Did you did you go as far as to have the same unit in different theatres of the same conflict?
1: I haven't done that yet. I think, and I'd have a look at my spreadsheet for this. It's a very good point, Ken, but I think when you look through the scenarios, I think there are only a handful of mm. British units that did fight in more than one theatre. Um, I'm sure there are some like the 33rd foot, which was all over the place, and probably the, the 42nd, and um, the Black Watch as well. Um, but the way I look at it with the AWI is that you've got, it was almost a case of looking at years, where particularly on the American side, the armies change their look every year or so. Um, yeah. And so you've got the kind of northern, northern, uh, Beginning of the war, look where Howe and Clinton were there, and then as you say, everything changes for the Saratoga campaign, which didn't use largely um, the same uh, units who fought elsewhere, and then you have got the Southern campaign um, under Cornwallis in the um, in the 80s, where they're wearing their kind of uh, broad brim hats, and and uh, so each of those has a very different look, but then on the on the US side again, the sort of the same regiments were issued new clothes every year or so and so yeah. you can have have a continental regiment that's you know wearing brown coats one year then it's wearing blue coats and it might be wearing something completely different the third year so mm. you know do you have all three of those replicated for your second maryland or whatever and i think there i kind of took the view that i wasn't going to recreate each regiment, mm. each year, because that, I mean, that way madness lied. It would, you know, you, mm. if, you, if you end up taking that approach with the Continental Army, you will have that army painted four times, which would be you know, um, fairly ridiculous. But, but you're right, Alan did, I think. He, he chose very well in terms of presenting some units twice. So, for example, mm. he did the Highlanders in their early war dress with full kilt and bonnets, and then he did the later war um, uh, Southern Campaign dress with um, trousers and overalls and that sort of thing. Mm. He did the 17th uh, dragoons um, with uh, again their early war, full dress uniform really and then kind of mocks they war in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to what I was saying about about um, about the um, uh, Room 101 I think one of the big game changes in terms of the figures available that the Perry Range did was to actually have militia in sort of hot weather gear and cold weather gear because again I think aesthetically in terms of what people are actually wearing and trying to get things accurate, that, that was actually really important to have you know soldiers wearing um, you know, shirtsleeves when it was hot, and then coats when it was cold. You know, it's it's. I think that kind of thing is is, is, is worth doing properly. Definitely.
0: I yes, I remember a, a, a vignette um, with some characters on. Um, was that s- sculpted by uh, the Perry's with with uh, with EC and Dave Brown on?
1: Oh, uh, AC, uh, ACW one, yeah, AWI one hundred. Yeah, that was. The genesis said that was quite was quite odd. It was it was just literally an off the cuff remark I made on. I think it was the miniatures page where we were discussing things that we'd like to make, and as mm. always with you know, mo- most periods, but particularly with the AWY, because there's such a wide variety of different uniforms and different units and different, different this and that, people are always saying, oh, why don't you just make this? Why don't you make some mounted of those? Or why don't you make some of those? Um, and Alan was clearly getting a little bit irritated by that, as, as you'd expect. <laughs> you know? um, if you go on Facebook now, I think it's hilarious the way whenever the Perrys release anything and they put up new photographs, there's always somebody who says, yeah, these are great, but why aren't you doing this? It's yeah. of, oh, I'm just telling you what I've done. You, know, you don't need to be told <laughs> what you'd like to have. Um, so I said, you know, it'd be quite amusing. You ought to celebrate that you know, the 100th pack in some way. And then like, I can't remember whether it was me or Clara who said, oh, yeah, you ought to do a vignette that's sort us of hassling him. But funnily enough, that's what he decided to do. And completely out of the blue, I was sent an email um, saying, oh, can you send me some photographs of yourself, sort of sideways on and full face <laughs> yeah. on? And I'm, I'm going to sculpt you all as a, as a pack. I thought well, that was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. And if anyone's ever wondered why I look slightly odd, it's because I remember I, for reasons, I, I, feel, I don't know why this happened, but my photographs were taken on a windy day down at the side of the Thames. Yeah. So I'm kind of squinting because the wind's blowing in my face. And it must be my girlfriend at the time's idea because she obviously wanted me to have a silly photograph taken. Um, yeah. So I look, I look as if I'm squinting. Um, but as well as being amazing likenesses, particularly of EC, he's absolutely nailed what EC looks like and Dave Brown as well. He's, he's always yeah. laughing whenever I meet him. Um, the, 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 there's a sort of story behind the poses as well, um, because EC, um, person asking the questions, so he, he's yeah. interrogating Alan. Ah, right, um, yeah, that's, that's why he's doing that. I'm I'm dressed as a Scott um, uh, officer because at that stage I'd painted loads and loads and loads of the Highland figures, um, so I think Alan thought that might be quite quite funny. But um, I'm taking notes because I'm a lawyer by trade, so I'm taking taking a note of the interview, yeah. which is what I spend a lot of my time doing. Um and then Dave, because he's a policeman, he's just like looking imperious and kind of looking on. Um, Disso, um, Brendan Morrissey, who's who's the um Hessian officer there. Um yeah. just sort of looking on and um benignly as a kind of, sort of wise wise man over seeing what the rest of us are doing, which is kind of what, what he mm. does with our with our AWI gaming anyway. So mm. it was it was really, really it was a fascinating thing to see um and then alan very kindly sent me a pack of the masters um which is the crispest figures i've ever seen i've never seen a master figure before but they're actually beautiful mm-hmm. um which i painted up for him and it was yeah it was it was i was absolutely knocked out when when he said he was going to do it um because it was just a flippant idea um and then you know being painted being sculpted by alan perry well that's, that's pretty that's pretty cool really
0: yeah that's amazing i well what... I, I saw the pack, and I thought there must be a, a decent story behind that that uh, that vignette. So it's uh, it's wonderful to get the background uh, to that. Uh, one thing I forgot to me- to ask, actually, at, right at the very start, um, Towerton's Quarter. Where where did that come from? Where did that name for the blog come from?
1: I I, I started off with another name, which. Again, Brendan Morrissey said to me, just didn't sound right. I can't remember what it was, but it was all it was, it was about, you know, a sort of quarter being a kind of place where you can go. Mm. Um, and then obviously play on the phrase Tarlison Quarter," which was, you know, British soldiers butchering, helpless surrendering Americans. Um, so, and also it goes straight to the period as well. Um, yeah. So that's kind of kind of where it, come for, it, it came from. And, and funnily enough, I was thinking actually the other day, the one obvious regiment I haven't actually painted up is Tarlison's own British Legion. That's just something I've never managed to do, um, which seems a bit older. Though. I have I've painted a couple of Tarlison figures, I think. Um, but yeah, it, 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 was, it was just one of those things that came to me. I thought, yeah, that kind of sounds, it just kind of sounds right. Yeah, um, I couldn't think of anything funny or witty. It was just kind of yeah. It just it just <laughs> seemed, seemed to say what the period was, and this is a place where you can just come and hang out.
0: Yeah, and some, sometimes you, uh, you you know, people come up with a what seems like a really funny idea, and and fifteen years later it's not funny anymore. So sometimes having a a reasonably sensible uh, idea uh, can be it can be a good one for a name uh, for for a blog um we we've talked about uh we've talked about british grenadier r- rules a couple of times um uh so how did you get involved with those were were they the set at the time
1: they were uh, yeah it, it, it was very much i'd started collecting i'd started I I remember I had a few regiments sitting in boxes. And I was thinking, Look, I can't I can't do what I've done before, which is just paint loads of stuff and just not do anything with them. <laughs> and then, boom! The British Renegade rules came out, and I thought, right, that's it. I've actually got a period now. I've got something I can work for. Yeah. Um, I knew EC. He, he 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 lived in London as well. He was you know very generously invited me around to, to 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 play a few games. So I got used to the rules that way. Um, and the rules themselves. Very much matched what I was what I wanted out of the period mm. and what I wanted out of the game, which is as we discussed earlier, they they were very keen about recreating the particular issues that arose from fighting these battles in 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 America, the terrain, the idea of of um, reflecting that in disruption points, um, the looser of files, uh, and the fact that casualties are often quite light. I mean, we talked about Bunker mm. Hill earlier being a bloodbath, and some of the battles were particularly anything with a massacre at the end of it, but um, often. There weren't that many casualties at all. And I remember EC we used a lot of research into the period telling me that if you actually read some of the original dispatches, you can tell where it's being egged up a bit. And you can tell where mm-hmm. the, the casualties are being exaggerated, trying to either try and cover up something wrong the officer's done to make it look as if he was, you know, attacked by a greater number of people than than um, mm-hmm. than otherwise, or to, or to kind of, you know, big themselves up in terms of what they did. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was a hit that. The, the historical um accuracy that, that 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 won me over. And I remember thinking the first time I did Bunker Hill, uh, again, you know, British grenadiers and British troops assaulting this, this this kind of fixed position, um, a redoubt occupied by very good militia marksmen. And I was on the British side and I just couldn't get my my um battalion to actually charge into the into the the um redoubt. Mm. And I, I, said to, I said to me see this is a bit ridiculous isn't it because these he, are British infantry. You know, they should be able to just charge easier than it's happening in the rules. He said, well, no, if you think about it, these are people, half of officers have been shot. They're in the face of intense, accurate musket fire. Are you going to charge into that? So I understood that the way the charge rules work actually reflect the fact that it was harder than you'd think for even the British regulars in the face of this, you know, very accurate, hostile um, uh, sniping and firing from, from um, the Americans to actually charge home. Sometimes they did, but more often than not, actually they didn't. And again, I remember E.C. telling me how that's often reflected in some of the, the uh, reports of the battles from, from the time. You can see where they had to try and cover for lots of, um, mm-hmm. lots of mistakes. You know, we made it, we made a tactical withdrawal. Was that really a tactical withdrawal or was it troops fleeing away and running away because all their, all their officers had been shot? So I appreciated the sort of subtleties and nuances of the way he'd written the rules and also the mm-hmm. amount of research that had gone into developing that system because it really did reflect how these battles actually went. And I think that's important.
0: Yeah, we we found, we, we use British Grenadier here and we find the um, the way that they work really does give you a flavour for, for that particular area rather than using a, a set of seven years war rules yeah. or a napoleonic rules it, it, you, you get the sense of being in that particular theater i think that they i mean they're obviously what 15 years old maybe maybe older i think so yeah yeah, about yeah. um i think maybe today that they might be considered a bit too difficult do you think
1: I think I think maybe maybe they might fall into that category of rules that have too many things to look up because I've been yes. reading a lot of a lot of concerns about that recently in sort of forums and you know I saw or well, in in one of the latest magazines there's some new Napoleonic rules that have that have been published I think by by Rick Priestley or someone like that no um Jervis Johnson they're like four pages not a single table in it and that's being sold as yeah. the kind of um, uh, well, one of the good things to think about it, and I think, yes, I remember my early uh, early games of bridge. There was a lot of looking things up, and I wasn't I wasn't particularly experienced at gaming anyway, so I was finding it difficult. But mm. um, I suppose people might think, yes, there are too many plus ones here and minus ones there, and you've got to keep track of all that, and you know you do need to keep records. And I I I, I sense from talking to other people that there is a move away from that. But then mm. you know I think if you're going to have rules which reflect the complexity of the of the battlefield then you're going to have to spend time looking stuff up and there's no way of getting away from it if you just want to have a game you know what they call beer and pretzels game where you just like knock yeah. figures over then by all means you know use rules of that or just get a food dice and just throw them at the figures knock them over that way that's probably you know just as <laughs> just is historically accurate
0: or you could use the round dice
1: yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get a dustpan and brush, sweep a few figures off of the other turn. Just do that. Yeah.
0: Well, I we, we're massive fans of British Grenadier it, here. So um a, bit, a big thumbs up from us. And and very similar to yourself, we don't mind a, a little bit of uh, of brain power um being used during during the course of a of a game. Um so that's uh, that's that's superb. Um you did mention in the big game section that the Long Island battle and um it's one of the scenarios, isn't it? In one of the um, scenario books for yeah. uh, British Grenadier. So um, can you remember any of the vital statistics about that particular game? How, how big the table was? How many figures? That sort of thing?
1: Uh, not off the top of my head. It's, I mean, I remember it was certainly the biggest battle I've ever played. No. Uh, and there's not a huge amount of competition, but it was pretty huge. And I remember I did do a whole series of posts on my blog about the preparation for it because um, I, I, I painted up masses and masses of stuff for it um, and it was it was as I said, terrific to see almost what was in my entire collection just out out, mm. out on the table um, but I think it was one of those tables that was more long than deep um, and and I, I think it was in a bit of an L because there was a British flanking march that had to come around the side um, but we must have been we, we must have had close to a thousand figures I think it would have mm. it, it was, it was, it was at scale, it was, it, it was huge. Um,
0: because compa- in comparison to um, Brandywine, be the next biggest,
1: yeah, Brandywine or Monmouth. Um, yeah, because British Grenadier, the scenario is break Brandywine into two two wings you, um hmm. you got the uh left side and the and, and the east side which which you could do but we did we did them together and again that that was i don't think it was quite as big as long island but it was pretty big but months quite a big game so it just long it just lasted quite a long time um but those i think are the three the, the three big awi biggies and then you've got other famous games like um battles like guildford courthouse and, and and the saratoga battles which are quite you know very well known and you see them around the show circuit a lot but they're a lot more compact um, both in size and in numbers of numbers of, of, of troops
0: and long so i mean long long island in my mind it kind of stands out as the ginormous battle of the of the period compared yeah. to even the likes of brandywine um so it um, must have been uh, kind of the the pinnacle of the awi to to fight that big battle
1: i think it was yeah and i remember who was it who made somebody made the um the fortifications, uh, partic- uh, specifically for that for that game, mm. um, and I think I think they said they'd even found some old plans, or they've been sent the old plans that that um, we use um, to show exactly the, the way they were constructed and, and, and how Washington mm. wanted them. And then EC had made the swamp over which some of the Americans escaped, and some of them unfortunately um, drowned in in that swamp. So a lot of attention to detail had gone into the game. Um, and I remember I painted a lot of Hessians because that's one of the games where the Hessians were quite heavily involved. I think they almost had their own division. Um, and then they weren't much used again after that game, certainly in the yeah. north. They kind of pop up again in the south at things like Guilford Courthouse and, and some of those battles. Um, so, so it had everything. It had... It had um, Lots of artillery, it had Highlanders, Hessians, loads of Americans. It was just, yeah, fantastic. Even some some cavalry, actually. I remember I did a, um, I had the 16th dragoons and they tried to charge the Redoubt, which was a particularly stupid thing to do, but it was, <laughs> it was right at the end of the game. So it was just like any British unit that wasn't routing or retreating, just throw them at the have a fortification go. Have a see go. if we can get in. See so if we can get in. And we say, we 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 did better than how. We could have won. We could have destroyed the rebellion. Oh,
0: fantastic. If we'd been Fantastic. Fantastic, um, and I, I did particularly enjoy your your parades on the, on the blog. You were, I think it was the, the on the fourth of July, you had a you would have a, an AWI parade. Um, was that a particular joy? I, I I love it. I have a thing called Troops on Parade on my blog and YouTube channel yeah, where yeah, we fantastic. get a collection out on the table and um, you kind of sit back and go, oh, I've done all right, now.
1: Yeah, I should do those more often, actually. I think I think, I think see the last one I did was in May 2016, which was what was then um, the state of my American Civil War Dixon collection. Um, but I was going to put out, I was going to do a parade, I remember, of my British AWI collection, but then I just realised it, it wasn't, I didn't have a table big enough on which it was going to fit, so I, I'd have to do, do it in, in, in two or three goes. Um, oh, so actually, I've, I've just found the Armand's Legion flag. Liberty, equality, justice, it says. I must have decided to change it. But yeah, I mean, you can't beat seeing figures out on parade. I mean, it, it's a fantastic, and mm. as you say, you, you actually get a sense of pride because you you remember all the hours of effort, all the research, um, you know, all, all, all the work that's gone into them, and um, yeah, it, it it gives me a a a a, buzz. Yeah, a good feeling.
0: And um, after a couple of three years, you. You, you kind of, as we've said before, you you moved away from the AWI onto to carless wars, and I think I remember a b- bit of English Civil War as well thrown in there as well.
1: I did do that, yeah, yeah. Claire and I had a couple of English Civil War games actually. Yeah, it's it's um, but again, I, I kind of found I, I had trouble getting to grips with how the battles actually worked. Mm. Um, with you know, easy, with English Civil War, you know, how how much push was there? How did the pipes work? How did the shot work? I've never really. Um, I, know, I know that there are lots of very good rule sets out there which people use, and it's a very popular period, but I mm. I just kind of sense it wasn't quite for me. I think, basically, I'm a kind of horse and musket person. Um, you know, 1770 to 1870 is basically my my thing. I was very much interested in ancients um, when I was younger, but that's because I was, I was you know, mm. very interested in ancient, ancient history. I've moved away from that a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I found once, once I moved to Chelmsford, had two kids, time became premium, I found... That the time it was taking to to do uh, attend to the blog on a regular basis just wasn't really there, and, and I'm sure part of that was my fault. I was wasting mm. wasting a bit of time, but you know what it's like with young children; it's just time. Yeah. Time is time is not your own, and so the blog neglected and withered a bit. um And I've had various attempts to revitalize it over the past couple of years um without success. Although I'm, I'm going to make a big big effort now, and then of course lockdown happened and. I found myself painting loads of Frostgrave, and I thought I can't possibly contaminate my blog by putting fantasy <laughs> figures on it. That would be appalling. I'll probably get, you know, loads more abuse from the non-fantasy yeah. people. Um, but uh, but then it occurred to me that people might be interested in seeing that anyway. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm finding more time now. I've managed to re- re- resource structure and rethink about how how I spend time, um, and so I'm I'm um, I'm hoping to um, to go back to it. But you know, back in its heyday, the reason I think why it was such a success was because I was posting regularly. And, you know, mm. as you know Ken, you, if you're going to do something like this, you need to keep the regular the regular churn going because otherwise people, people will lose interest. And mm. I was also very fortunate, living quite close to work before I moved to, to, to Chelmsford. Um, I could paint 12 figures a week. Whatever happened, irrespective it, uh, it, 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 it it of what I was doing, unless I was on holiday or there was a family wedding or something, I could paint 12 figures a week without fail. And when you know you can do that, you can plan Your units easier, and you know that every couple of weeks you have something finished that can go on the blog, and so I knew there was a steady, a steady stream of stuff that I was doing, which could make regular posting feasible. Was the past few years that's become far less, far less viable.
0: Did you ever consider, because this is something I've thought about a number of times, I you, you spend a lot of time preparing blog posts, etc. Um, and then I press publish and think, God, that would have been a really good magazine article. Did you ever, or have you ever been involved in, in doing articles for magazines?
1: No, I was once asked to, and then I got incredibly busy at work and they realised I wasn't going to be able to produce it on time. So that was an that was <laughs> unfortunate, unfortunate episode. Um, I mean, I think... Uh, Again, it's it's a bit like reading rules. As I said, I'm a lawyer. I spend my entire working day read, reading rules. The last thing I want yeah. to do when I get home for pleasure is to pick up a set of Raw games rules and read those and try and work out what they mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just can't do it. And um, I think writing articles kind of falls into the same bucket. I do quite a lot of that work as well. It's just you know trying to separate what I do at work and what I do as, as, as a yeah. hobby. You know, I, I quite like to keep that, um, that, that 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 separate. But as I say. I, I just love painting, and I'd, I've, I've realized actually I've I've, I've missed blogging because I've missed mm. you know putting stuff out there, even taking photographs of what I've done. I haven't really done that yeah. either, which is which is a great shame. They're just kind of you know sitting in boxes, I say. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go, and and I thank you for getting in touch, you invite me on here because it's really <laughs> it's 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 been a good Yorkshire boot up my behind. Oh,
0: brilliant, brilliant. Uh, as a lawyer, then with with rule sets, um, w- which way which way round are you are you um, because you're a lawyer you're really pedantic about what the rules say and how they're interpreted or are you completely the other way it, uh, that's my work I really don't care which which where do you fit on that it's, scale
1: it's a bit of the latter I just find it, it's really quite odd I just I start reading rule sets my eyes just glaze over and I think I can't believe I'm doing this for fun <laughs> you know I just and, and again going, going, going back to British Grenadier that that's why I I think part of the reason I stuck with that was that I was very lucky that I could just go along and have games with people who understood the rules and they could pretty much tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, I could roll the dice and they would tell me what that meant. Or, you know, I could ask them what to do next and they'd tell me if they, if they, even if they were on the other side. So that that made it a lot easier. And then I could kind of read the rules and digest them in my own in my own time. I think part of the trouble I have now with things like, you know, if if... if, if if you buy Frostgrave, for example, um, which is a great system, and and I, I've enjoyed painting figures for that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have mm-hmm. great games. But these these books are quite big. You know, it, it's almost like reading a proper book as opposed to a kind of a, a, a rule set, which I've always thought should be you know nothing more than thirty or forty pages at most. But these are proper books, and they can be quite intimidating. And I wonder if that sort of puts off people. Um, like me, or even perhaps younger people who just think, Oh, I have got got time to read this. I wish someone would just, you know, um, tell me either, either tell me what to do or, or I can find some rules that are just, you know, a couple of pages. And I wonder whether, you know, given what, um, what's been published in the, the, the latest Wargames Illustrated, the, 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 the new Napoleonic rules from Jervis Johnson mm-hmm. and the Perrys, whether there's going to be a return, you know, back to basics almost, to use a rather silly political phrase, you know, but, but just going back to rules that are quite easy and just do give you mm. a fun game. As opposed yeah. to necessarily accounting for every particular nuance of a particular mm-hmm. period, in a way that maybe you and I, you and I would like. I think there's there's obviously room and scope for both both approaches, mm-hmm. but there are times when I just do sit back and think, oh, I could just do it two pages, something really straightforward and easy, and then I'd actually probably gain more.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm i not, I've not read through. I've got the the um, Perry's rules um, in the last magazine. I've not had a chance to read through it yet. I'm quite looking forward to seeing what sort of ideas they've they've come up with. You never know, because I, I use General Brigade at the moment, so it'll be interesting mm. to see what they've come up with um, and, and how it's going to work. Um, just coming towards the end uh, of the of the chat, what, what's the, the future for Tarleton's Quarter, though? Then You said you've, you've got a bit of a new enthusiasm for it.
1: Yeah, I actually have a lot of photographs of what I've been painting over the past couple of years, which is not AWI, but is First Carlist War and particularly the Great Paraguayan War. And I was, I was, I was doing quite well with the latter, last year and then that kind of trailed off i think in november i can't remember what happened in november oh i got very busy work that's why um mm-hmm. but it, it's it's yeah I, i've got stuff i'm going to try and try and do i've actually also got i got six half finished acw regiments i need to finish off so um there is there is work coming through which i, I will put up and I will go back to the AWI at some stage fairly shortly because I just I'm feeling feeling the call cool a little bit. The lure of the AWI is coming back to finish off what's on my spreadsheet. That, now we, we spent so much time talking about my spreadsheet, I just want to finish it off
0: now. Oh, that's brilliant. And uh, <laughs> people just type Tarleton's quarter into Google, et cetera. They'll, they'll find you. I would expect.
1: Yes, well, Charles Allison blog seems to work as well. Yeah. Um if you do Tarleton's quarter, you often get very gruesome photographs or I don't know, photographs, pictures of uh Tarleton Charles and cutting people's heads off and that sort of thing. So Charles oh, G- yeah, Charles okay. blog is 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 uh, is a good is way the to safe do It's <laughs> a safer way.
0: It's a safer way. Especially if especially if you're at work. Make sure you do it that way around. That's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today. Uh before we go, I always ask uh that the uh guest if they would like to ask me a question, as I've been battering them with questions for nearly two hours. Uh, Do I get away with it, or have you come up with one?
1: Uh, I hadn't hadn't thought of one until during the course of this podcast, and I've heard you make several references to the difference between Northerners and Southerners. And as a Southerner, Ken, I have to say, is there one particular thing about Southern gamers, it doesn't even have to be Southerners in general, but Southern Mm, gamers, that you think is either marks them out as Southerners, or is slightly irritating to Northerners, or what do you think the main difference if any in attitude or, or 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 approaches between between the north and the south of our of our country
0: i think uh, i have to say in in general most gamers uh, are uh friendly sorts and uh, we can we can get over our avocado rivalries um and the 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 had a concod boundary as well that often occurs between the north <laughs> and south quite quite well i i have to say um so um I, uh, yeah it's a difficult one that i i, I, I what well, one thing that does annoy me between the north and the south is is how the north tends to be um less less visible in the in the war games press um yeah. Because I I appreciate the likes of Henry Hyde. You know, he lives down in Brighton. It's a long trip for him to go to a show. So he's going to go to Colours. He's going to go to Salute. Um, He's going to go to Partisan as an absolute maximum. But shows like the one that we do in Fiasco uh, and Leeds at the Royal Armouries, you know, what a fantastic venue. Um, Do we ever get any war games pressed? To be buggery, <laughs> so that that's probably my my bugbear, but I think we're all a, we're all a, a fairly reasonable reasonable family.
1: I think I think that's a very fair point. Yeah, no, I can I can see where that might be might be a bit annoying, but I think to go back to where you started from, I think one of the greatest things about the hobby is the people. Mm. I mean, I, I've yet to mm. meet someone I haven't got on with in this hobby. And I think everyone is so generous with their time, their experiences, their advice. I mean, you know, I've picked up two tips on this podcast from you. <laughs> so <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, 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 th- there's so much people to give in this hobby as well because i think if you're a part of it you know how much effort goes into it and you know everyone else is putting in the same effort as mm-hmm. you and so you want to help help the way you can and i think that's that's one of the best things about it
0: well it's been brill- brilliantly uh, having you on uh, thank you very awesome. much for your time thank today you for giles me. It's been fantastic and it uh, just leaves me to say good night everyone if you would like to say good
1: night to the audience good night thank you for listening
0: thank you very much Lovely chat there with Giles. Very much enjoyed that. Um, His blog is such a source of information for the AWI, for Paraguayan War, for Carlist War, for everything that he does. And um, the golden age of blogs has probably gone now. Uh, You know, my blog gets quarter of the number of hits that it used to do uh, three or four years ago, which is a real shame. And uh, if you're listening to this and you don't, or you haven't visited blogs, then uh, I recommend that you, you give them a go because, you know, in this modern fast world of YouTube videos and Twitter, etc., um, you know, the, the click and you're gone kind of uh, world that we live in. It's sometimes nice just to take that little bit of time to uh, to read through a blog, and Giles's blog is, uh, as I said, one of the uh, the premier ones in that genre. Uh, and I'm uh, very grateful to Giles to uh, stepping forward. We were looking to do something early next year, and then uh, when unfortunately Mark uh, Hydes couldn't do his episode, um, Giles very kindly stepped forward and stepped into his shoes. So uh, thanks again for that, Mark. Uh, Very appreciated. And uh, thanks for coming on. And next guest, and I hope I'm not going to kibosh this by saying it. But uh, my next guest is going to be somebody I've known for a very long time, uh, Chris Flowers. And um, even if you don't recognise the name of Chris Flowers, you will know uh, or have seen uh, some of the games that he has put on across the shows during the UK for many years. And uh, when we go back and you think about the things that influenced me and those ginormous Twenty-five, thirty-foot tables at wargame shows with twenty-eight mil, absolutely exquisitely painted figures on uh, for the public. Then, more than likely, at some stage, Chris is going to be involved in uh, one of those. He's got an amazing set of uh, collection of figures and uh, I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking to him in person. I'm going to do the same that I did with uh, Pete Morby and uh, I'm going to pop along to Chris's house and uh, hopefully sit in his uh, massive Wargames room and chat about why we're all here, toy soldiers. So uh, hopefully that'll be in a couple of weeks' time and I look forward to chatting with you then. Uh, Until then, hopefully I'll see you at uh, Partisan on Sunday. If not, at Fiasco in Leeds on the 30th. And until then, see thee.